This moment is like the meta crisis, the crisis yeah. of crises. I really do think the United States is going to be gone within five years. Yeah, every single aspect of our civilization is about to collapse. And I started reading it, which is weird because I wasn't a reader. I put the book down. My entire life collapsed. That was the end of my old life. Biology probably is a phase of universal evolution. I'm going to transcend at some point. Reality is just a story. Oh, there really is something out there. There really is a monitor. It's got atoms and molecules. It's yeah. not a bad story, but it's still just a story. Until you're awake from that, then you're just in the tramp. The map is not the territory. Yeah. I don't use the word God. I call it Bob. Mm. Bob dreams up everything and experiences it all from the inside. Alan Watts got my spiritual virginity. Mm. Alfred Korzybski knocked me up and Ray Kurzweil delivered the baby. I was coming off my acid trip, right? And then just last week, I took something even more powerful. I took some DMT. Allegedly, I'm kidding everyone. It's all speculative. This is all speculative. I, this is all make-believe. Yeah, I don't even know where to go from there. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Perfect student, man. You just know when to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Haseo, lovely people. You're still here at episode number eight of Noetic Nomads, which automatically makes you one of the most awesome people that's ever existed. Did you recognize that name face and especially that voice from the intro to this episode? If you've been to any of the Socratic speed dating sessions at the Stoa, then there's no doubt you did, because today's guest is the most social of butterflies at those gatherings. Heron Stone, or is he? You'll get what I mean after listening to this episode. This Noetic Nomads thing has brought with it a lot of synchronicities. I'd only gone to like two of these Socratic socials, right? One right before launching Noetic Nomads and one right after. And both times, somehow, I was matched up with Heron. The universe does not lie. And I listened. And I brought Heron on the show as one of our first guests. And I am so glad I did because Heron truly embodies the type of radical thinking and doing we're trying to signal boost here at Noetic Nomads. He's done things like straight up inventing a whole new debugged version of English called Earthling, as well as creating phonographics, a way of reading and writing by hearing with your eyes. Much respect to Heron, who's been in the podcasting game for well over 12 years, having conversations with people from all over the world to wake them up for the trance of language. You can listen in on his decades of wisdom, as well as some of our alleged experiences with psychedelics in this episode, as we go over topics like how a girl in the tiniest little bikini was the end of Heron's old life, the likelihood within this decade of America collapsing into separate nation states, why Korea doesn't have spelling bees, how the hell it could be that one of us is immune to DMT, plus lots more tasty tidbits for all your language machines to nibble on. Be sure to like and subscribe and let us know what crazy stories the voices in your head are telling you in our comment section. Listen to Noetic Nomads on podcasts and rate us five stars so we can get these important messages by these amazing people out there. Lastly, I'd like to invite you to become a founding member of our Noetic Nomads community at noeticnomads.org, where you can check out and submit your own articles and events and interact with members of the growing Nomads family. Now it's time for our main feature, our mind convo with the guru behind Gendo himself, Heron Stone. 
and we are recording. Welcome, everyone, to another brand new episode of Noetic Nomads. I'm Albert Kim, everyone's favorite Korean manchild. And with me today is the life of the Socratic speed dating party at the Stoa, and the epitome of the type of radical thinking we love to do here at Noetic Nomads. He's a renegade who's refused to sit back and let our language machines hijack our minds and our lives. He started Gendo in 2008, a podcast downloaded over 39,000 times, which has helped countless people awaken from the Paleolithic trance of language, created Earthling, an innovative new form of English designed to help us think and communicate more clearly and accurately, reinvented arithmetical notation, music notation, the piano keyboard, and even our notions of time itself with his work on clock faces and the true lunar calendar. Our guest is a revolutionary who for many years has studied the relationships between language and thinking, problem-solving, intelligence, creativity, and spirituality, and gifted them upon us in his inimitable way. Nomads, please help me in introducing a foreseer of our future, a transhuman sent by Gaia to help disabuse us monkeys of our wicked ways. He is the one and only Perrin Stone. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on today, Aaron. Man, that was an awesome intro. I loved that. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you so much. I mean, like, well, you did your homework, man. Oh, man. And I'm so glad I did. If you could just like, uh, Tell our lovely audience how we even came across each other in the first place. I don't even remember now. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, first of all, yeah, it was like, uh, so at the uh, Stoa's- Speed dating uh, thing, wasn't it? Yeah, the Socratic yeah. speed dating at the yeah. Stoa. Yeah, and um, it, it's hilarious if I could just share this because I've only gone there two times, right? I've went there two times only. I don't know why, it was just two times, even though I go to all these Stoa sessions. Both times I was matched up in my uh, first uh, uh, breakout room with Heron. <laughs> Yeah. And I remember the first time I was like, oh, Heron, I'm, I'm a, it was before I started Noetic Nomads, right? I was like, I'm going to start this Noetic Nomads thing. I asked for Heron's info. I got it. And then I launched it. And a few weeks later, I go into the room again. And Heron was like, oh, wow, Heron, I actually launched. Let's actually do this. Yeah, thing. yeah. Yeah. And like, this is how this happened. And like, I'm so glad I did. And I'm so glad I got to uh, uh, research you because. How many episodes have you done now? Um. The released so far has been, was it five? But I have my sixth coming out tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you're in the first 10, the first yeah. 10 ever. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Hopefully not the last one uh, ever. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, we'll keep going on with this. So, yeah. So I, like, I was very interested about, like, first starting off, because, like, again, like, we, we uh, came across each other in the Socratic speed dating uh um, it's kind of like a weird thing. It's a, it's a crack speed thing. It's very platonic. You know, it's just, it's how we go and like meet yeah. like fellow radical thinkers. So what was it that attracted you to like a, a meeting place like that? Well, because I, it's fun to talk to new people and uh, I'm just sort of wrapping up years of research and I'm, you know, it's, it's good to talk to people and put the ideas out and see how they respond and what they respond to. And so, yeah, I'm just, always looking for um, people to talk to and share ideas. Mm, yeah. And definitely, uh, especially as I was going through all your work and with Gendo, like, was I correct in, in saying it started in 2008? Was it actually before that even? Oh, well, no, it's, it started 30 years ago. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Gen yeah, yeah. But you know, it, it's gone through a number of phases. It's really been really only in the last 10 years that, that it's sort of taken shape. And like, how would you do, like, like, uh, you know, while I was trying to come up with my introduction, like I had a hard time even trying to 
<laughs> conceptualize what it is. So, well, so do give, I, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so like, what would be your best attempt at what uh, Gendo is, is, is kind of becoming? Statement that I usually go with, you know, the voice in your head is not something you are doing. It's something mm. happening to you. You have been hijacked by your own language machine. And waking from the Paleolithic trance of language is a game changer. And further, 95% of people, 95% of the time, live in a language-induced hypnotic trance. Mm. Gendo is basically about breaking identification with the voice in the head. Most people are trained from infancy to identify with the voice. You know, that's you. I said that. I did this. I think this. I blah, blah, blah. But it's mm. always... I, and that voice is I, that's something I do, but that's just, you know, it only takes a couple minutes to, to realize that that's just not the way it works at all, you know, mm. and um, so, yeah, it, the fundamental aim is to break identification with the voice in the head, to, to hear it, to evaluate it, to listen to it, see whether or not it makes sense. Sometimes it's quite useful. Other times it's a plague. And, uh, but as long as you're identified with it, as long as you think that's me, I think this, and I, then you're lost. I mean, you're literally entranced by the voice in your head. And I think as a species, that, that that's what's going on right now, that we've been under the trance of the voice in our head for the last 200,000 years. And that began to break a couple thousand years ago, and religions got started around mm -hmm. those individuals who woke up from the trance of language but now it's spreading rapidly i expect to see a, a sort of outbreak of enlightenment for lack of a better word uh in the next you know two you know 10 20 years 30 years maybe i don't know what but i, I expect a sort of critical mass of humans to awaken so i'm, I'm looking and i just want to do my little part to help that along yeah and like thank you so much for like bringing this gift to the world because even me like like um i think this is a, a, actually this is a very important topic at this time this this concept of language and how we we use all these you know these concepts and you talked about like yeah uh, the, the what was it the five stupidities of of language and like of uh, english, well of, Eng of english specifically well, indo-european language <laughs> in general but i'm just interested in debugging english so yeah mm, yeah and like i mean i've always thought that like look i'm i know i'm biased but like being as that it's technically my second language even though i barely know my first language which is korean but like yeah. just that frame that frame shift i'm like wow english is really stupid like there's a lot of bugs in there and like but not that all the others aren't stupid yes also. yes yes <laughs> uh, but do you think there's something specific about uh, about english because uh, one explanation is that because it's kind of like a bastardized language it pulls from so many things that i don't really know uh, it mm -hmm. has obviously england was an economic power that allowed them to spread their language all over but when you look at it it's kind of curious that some dumb little island in the north atlantic would come to dominate the whole planet. You know, I mean, yeah. that's, they didn't have any resources. What I'm thinking is that what they had is English, and English is just a bastardized form of German, really. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, what is it about English? I don't know. It's certainly not perfect. You know, it's got a lot of flaws, but something about it has put it in this preeminent position on the planet. And, um, 
yeah i don't know why it's just that's the way it works <laughs> you know? yeah, i mean i don't know like actually not just think about it it's almost kind of like with capitalism and how like it's just so able to co-opt everything that comes to like fight against it. It's like, you know, now we have like the, the, the modern uh, incarnation is kind of like the woke kind of capitalism. It's like, now they're like, Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, black lives matter and all this stuff. And they like, they like to co-opt all these different movements and that's how it keeps perpetuating itself. So I don't know, maybe the same thing with English because it has all these loan words, which is why we, we have, for example, in Korea, for all I know, Korea does not have spelling bees. Because the way that it's spelled is pretty much how it sounds. Yeah, it's, right. Yeah. 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 Well, that, well, that's why you saw my phonographics. Yes, thing. yes, you know, exactly. Yeah. If you can say it, you can spell it. It's real mm. simple. I didn't know that about Korean. So they don't have spelling bees. Yeah. And like, uh, yeah, spelling and like, is so obvious. Yeah. yeah and, and, and it was actually, yeah, because I actually read, a, uh, I read this. Uh, um, and actually other people say this, that Korean, Korean the alphabet may be, the most elegant uh, alphabet ever created because it's it's so like you know King Sejong, however many hundred years ago he created this like before we had like we used like uh, Mandarin uh, Chinese for everything yeah. you know Chinese yeah. but then but then we're like okay we gotta we we, we gotta get our peasants they can't handle this Chinese stuff Chinese yeah. is crazy so yeah. he came up with Hangul yeah but he simplified it as much as possible so in a way you're kind of like uh, the modern day king yeah, yeah. except you don't right. quite have the nation state yet but we're working yeah. on that yeah yeah well this is for earth mm. uh, oh yeah. yes yeah yeah well because english is taking over whether we like it or not whether it's suited or not everyone who's really an important decision maker on this planet does a good part of their thinking in English and most of their communication in English. And it seems to be going more and more of that direction. And it seems reasonable that a, a living planet would have a single language, you know, and there may be others. They won't all die out. If anybody cares about their native languages that aren't English, if there's enough of them that care, the language will live. Mm. And uh, if they don't, it will die. I mean, you know, there were, th- you know, we've lost thousands of languages. Well, what, 95, 99% of all the species of animals that ever existed are extinct. Mm. You know, they come and they go. And uh, most of the languages that have ever existed have already gone extinct and we're losing them immediately now. There used to be six, 600 languages in California. We're on the West Coast of the United wow. States. 600 yeah. languages. There are only about five or something left with any speakers and all those speakers are 80 years old mm. so they're all going to be gone you know yeah and and i was just thinking speaking of which like yeah like it would make sense like i mean there's so many uh, uh you know rabbit holes we could go down but like i just think like we got like, enough time to go down all yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah so, okay so the one i'm gonna go on because uh like english we're t- you just mentioned like english is like for a planetary uh uh you know civilization or whatnot or, or organism yeah they would have one language, but it's also like, okay, but how about what's going on with China? And we yeah, just talked about Chinese and yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're trying real hard to push, I mean, Chinese uh, around the world. They got a, a whole institution that's designed to market Chinese the, language. Yeah, the, uh, the Confucius Institutes, right? Uh, yeah. Well, I don't know what the name of them oh, is, yeah, but, but, but I'm aware of the fact that they are pushing, they, they see the importance of it and they, they want to, you know, Chinese to take over if they can. I don't think it's going to work. It's uh, 
it's a crappy writing system for one. It, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a complete. Yeah, it's possibly even worse than English in many ways because it's just so complex. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that but they have a phonetic writing system too. Mm. Can you, oh yeah, oh yeah. But I, I haven't studied it, so I don't really know. It's probably better than English. I mean, English writing is ridiculous. Mm. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So uh, again, so okay, so I would like to start this uh, rabbit hole uh, going down path uh, with going back all the way back because, like, when I researched you, I was like, oh my god, like, Heron, you're like a radical thinker, like you know, one of my taglines for Nordic Nomads is, I want you know, connecting radical thinkers and doers, and like, yeah. you're like the epitome, you're radical thinking and you're doing, you're like creating all these amazing systems, and like, I was just wondering. So what social group were you a part of in high school and what impact did that have on oh, choices? Yeah, you made well, listen, I didn't actually exist until I was 21. Oh, interesting. Uh, I woke up, you know, that's sort of how I put it is I, I woke up from the trance of language when I was 21. And prior to that, I was interested in uh, girls, cars, television <laughs> and marijuana. Yeah. I see. And that was about it. You know, I had no interest in really anything except those four things. <laughs> And um, and then I woke up through a series of bizarre circumstances, and that was the end of my old life. I, like I say, my life really began when I was 21. I, before that was just me going, you know, was, I was just a fucking cultural robot, you know? Yeah, and I believe I came across, I was, so I was listening to one of the, the Gendo episodes, and like, was it the incidents in the bookstore? If I'm well, correct, it was a bookstore. It was in a liquor store. That oh, liquor store, yes. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, it's a great story. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. Yeah, if you don't mind, could you share it with our audience? Because I think oh, sure. It's, it's such a quick story. It takes like two minutes to say. Mm -hmm. It was 1967. Mm -hmm. I lived in Manhattan Beach, California, great town, mm -hmm. and it was the summer of 1967. And I smoked cigarettes at the time. I lived three blocks south of the pier. I mean, it, it was a beautiful little beach community. You know, it was just, it was a great place. Mm. Anyway, so I got out and I walked down to the store. The, the liquor store was on the corner of where the pier was. And it was summer and it was in the afternoon. And in the summer, this, this town was packed with beachgoers, you know, mm. and lots of beautiful women in bikinis. <laughs> and, <laughs> so, and as I walked down to the liquor store and I walked in just ahead of me, you know, uh, just walking in just immediately before I reached the door was the most beautiful, sexiest, just, I was just stunned. You know, she, the tiniest bikini and I mean, just everything about her was just stunning. And, uh, and I sort of was entranced. I mean, really, it was really pretty bizarre. Hmm. The next thing I noticed is she was giving me this really dirty look. And, uh, and then I realized I just was sort of staring at her. And, you know, <laughs> so I, I quickly turned away. And there was a book, a used book rack next to me. And I grabbed wow. this book off there, paid no attention, just grabbed, held it up in front of my face, so I could look at her, <laughs> you hmm. know. And I don't remember much after that. The next thing I knew, I was up at the cash register and some guy was saying, hey, do you want anything else? And I sort of came back to my senses yeah. and she was just walked out the front door and I'm standing at the cash register with this book. So I said, no, give me a couple packs of Luckies. And I bought the book for 25 cents and walked home with my cigarettes and my book. And then as I walked in the door, I immediately tossed the book in the trash can. 
because mm. I wasn't a reader. <laughs> you know, I had no intention of reading that book. Um, but a couple, a week later, a month later, I really don't know how long it was. Some point, you know, later, I happened to wander by the trash can and noticed there was a book behind the trash can. And apparently I had missed the trash can when I tossed the book. And there it was laying on the floor mm. behind the trash can. So I picked it up and looked at it. And I started reading it, which is weird because, like I say, I wasn't a reader. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe my television was broken or something because otherwise there'd be no point in reading a book. So I started reading the book and somewhere, I don't know, the next 10 minutes, well, it wasn't 10 minutes, maybe a half hour. I kept reading it, though, which is odd. Uh, I kept reading it. And at some point I, I put the book down. And I, I just sort of had this blinding re realization that I didn't have a clue who I was, what I was doing, what I could do, what I should do, what was possible, what was not possible. My entire life collapsed. So, well, I didn't have much of a life, really, but what, what, what little life I did have just evaporated into thin air. I was just left sitting there wondering, who the hell am I? Where am I? What the hell is going on here? And, um, and I never really recovered from that. That was the end of my old life. And mm -hmm. then I began reading. The book was a book by a guy named Alan Watts. Yeah, Alan Watts. And uh, so I started reading all of Alan Watts' books, and then that got me on to other things. And, and that was the beginning of it. You know, just it's a good thing I didn't get a book on gardening. <laughs> I know, <laughs> you know, right? Yeah. You know, or, or something. But that was, that was how it started. You know, it, it, <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, it's incredible. Like hearing that story. I mean, for any number of reasons. I mean, number one, it's like, I I go to your site again, uh, gendo.net and I look at your bibliography, and I'm like, oh my god. I'm like, if yeah. if if I were to do, if I were to part, you know, take the task of going through all those books, like that would take me forever. And like those are not, e I'm assuming those are not easy books to read. Well, some of them are, but yeah, oh, most. Yeah. Of, yeah, listen, I read. I probably read between four and eight hours every day for more than 30 years. Mm. Yeah, that was, that was what I did. Like I say, I, I, my life completely changed in five seconds, <laughs> you know. And from that point on, I was very studiously trying to figure out who am I? What am I doing here? What's going on here? And, uh, you know, that was really the only reason i had to to live because everything else had fallen away oh wow like and there really wasn't anything else anyway except cars television girls and marijuana so yeah, yeah i still and, like girls and marijuana <laughs> yeah but it doesn't go away like that's, I, I guess that you could call that your testosterone machine that's yeah. what led you down this path in the first place that's actually funny well yeah in some sense. well you know it's funny just a couple of years ago i gave up or i guess gave up sounds like a some sort of surrender or something but i quit smoking marijuana maybe two years ago mm. i've smoked marijuana daily since 1968 or 67 oh or wow whatever. and uh but basically it just was a waste of money because it didn't do much to me anymore oh, <laughs> I kept okay thinking why the hell am i going out and buying this stuff now that it's legal too you know so I, yeah I'm, yeah exactly. it was all illegal all those years and so now it's legal and i quit <laughs> mm. 
the reason that story resonates for a number of reasons is because uh, this past summer in uh, Rebel Wisdom uh, 101, uh, I'm not sure how familiar you are with Rebel Wisdom. No. It's like they, ha- they had a course, yeah, on Sense Making 101. Um, and it's where like we go with all these teachers and we do a lot of like, like uh, integration work uh, with like the shadow and all that stuff. And like yeah. at the start of the course, uh, we all ha- have like a, a prompt, like almost like an objective for the course. Like what is my intention for this course? And what my intention was, I want to find out who I am, you know, because uh, COVID a hit. Worthy purpose, yes. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like my whole life I had no idea what was going on. I'm, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of, you know, for. It's hard for, to even admit for a person to really face the realization that I don't have a clue who I am. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's scary and, business, man. <laughs> and, and it's like, yeah, like for example, like I had no idea. I was just going with what I thought I wanted, even though I knew deep down that's not what I wanted. I just like, I don't know, can I like brute force it? Like yeah. uh, for example, in like late 2019, I was this close from opening up my own vegan donut shop. And it was just like, for a while, I was like, I'm going to be a pastry chef, right? So I was like, I was, I was working like bakeries, uh, you know, like vinoiseries, like fancy French places, you know, donut uh, frying places. And I was like, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to open up my own donut shop. And then I was this close. And then there was a, like the, a disagreement with the landlord and it didn't happen. And thank God for that. Because yeah, can yeah, you yeah. imagine uh, open trying to open up a, like a, like a little donut shop, especially in, in COVID era? Yeah, given, like, oh, yeah, given, yeah. It's just like, and I felt it's like it's almost like synchronicity, and it yeah. was like your story synchronicity, my story. Like yeah. I had a I had a conversation one of my uh, previous episodes with uh, Monica Bravo. She's like a uh, she was a formerly a New York City based uh, um, visual artist, and she had a uh, she, she had some sort of health problems, and then one day, so a book just falls right in front of her. It specifically on her health problem, she fixes it, and then it's, it's like a Taoist teacher who who was the author, and then he, he became her Taoist teacher, and then this all this crazy path. So it just fell in her path. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think probably you know it's that way for just about anybody. If you look carefully at your life, you'll find all these serendipitous coincidences that have led us where we are. You know, mm, yeah. It, and like, and this is like, this is what I want to pose because this is like, I talk to people about this and I wonder about it. This synchronicity thing, is it just like our pot? Is it just our, like, uh, I don't know, our, our monkey mind pattern matching? Is it some sort of, I don't know, just random events? Or do you think possibly that there's something greater at work here? Listen, I haven't got a clue what's going on. Here. <laughs> yeah. I've got my story. Yes. You know, for for the way I try to make sense out of my experience. Hmm. But all I have is a story. The idea that I could possibly understand what's really going on in yes, the real yes. universe strikes me as ludicrous. Hmm. Yes. You know, it's, it's like the bacteria that live under my <laughs> fingernail. Yeah. You know, they, they probably don't have much of an idea of what you and I are talking about. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. And, and I think we're sort of like that to the universe. You know, mm. I mean, we're, we're crucial yeah. in some ways, in some narrow little way here on this planet. But what's really going on in the whole universe? Yes. Uh, you know, I mean, like I say, I've got a story, but I certainly, you know, it's just the best story I've been able to make up. <laughs> so, what would you say is your story? Because, like, yeah, I, I totally understand. Because we don't, yeah, well, my my, I don't understand. Like, That's the point. I love my story, I, I, and it's so simple. I mean, it only takes two minutes to. Again, it's like my, this other story. Um, but you dream? Do you dream? uh well yeah, I, i'm assuming yes yeah i, I, I mean dream, yeah. Not, well not ever, i didn't dream for many years 
honestly really yeah in fact it's interesting since i quit smoking marijuana now i dream all the time but uh for 30 40 years i dreamt dreamt maybe once or twice a year you know almost never so you mean like you didn't remember your dreams because i understand they say we dream all the time but i have no memory of dreaming okay so whether i dreamt or not doesn't really make any difference to me since Mm, i couldn't remember them so anyway now i do dream but in any case if you dream, you're, you, you're familiar with the idea. You know, you're sitting in a chair in a, in a room somewhere and there's maybe some people walking around or, you know, all this stuff going on, right? Hmm. And then you wake up and you say, well, where was that stuff? Was that real? Well, no, of course not. There wasn't any chair. It didn't have any atoms or molecules making it up. It was just a, a perception of some sort that, you, that was upon you. So given that we have experience with that, my sense is, like, I don't use the word God. I call it Bob because it, sort of <laughs> sa- it sounds like God, but it's funnier. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so, so Bob is just a great dreamer. And so mm. Bob dreams up everything and, and experiences it all from the inside. See, when I dream, I, I'm just me in the dream. I'm not all the other people too. I'm just, ah, just yeah. me. But when Bob dreams, he's everything. So it's Bob looking through your eyes. It's Bob looking through my eyes. Mm. It's Bob looking through the eyes of the ant that's crawling on the windowsill outside. Mm. Uh, it's Bob looking through the eyes of the potato <laughs> in, mm. in the garden. Uh, it's Bob that experiences the heat on a rock in the desert. That Bob dreams up everything and experiences it all from the inside. All the tragedy, all the glory, everything. You know, the Al-Qaeda people blowing everybody up, you know, and and 14-year-olds having their first sexual experience. Mm. And you name it, it's all Bob. That's all there is, is Bob doing it all to himself or itself better. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, yeah. and so that's my story. Again, I don't believe that. But I like that story a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, well, I'm uh, going with it, you know, yeah. until I find a better one. If somebody gives me a better story, I'll drop this one in a heartbeat. Mm, yeah. It's like, I, I mean, I have a very similar view to that. I guess um, you would, it would almost be like a pan, like pantheist kind of view. Everything yeah. is God in a way. or Well, yeah, but, you know, like I say, I don't feel any need to put a label. Yeah, on. no label. Yeah, Pantheists, yeah. you know, have their ideas of what that means, you yes. know. And they think that's really the way it is. Mm. You know, I said, no, this is just my story. That's it. Mm. Yeah, I mean. And see, there may, and, and a lot of people say it's just like solipsism, you know, is, is all there is is me and the rest is all just imaginary dream stuff. Okay, maybe, you know, maybe you don't exist. You know, maybe mm. you're just part of my dream. But see, that's just, that's just another story. Yes, exactly. You know, and I, yeah, and I don't feel the need to come to, to land on some final story that, that, that I can stick to, you know, and I just don't need that anymore. I did for a long time. I was searching for some story that I could land on. Mm. And, um, and now I don't feel any need to land on a story. I'm quite content to say, I don't know. <laughs> you know? Mm. Exactly. Like, like almost like a, <laughs> yeah, it's almost like a, 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 maybe like a universal agnostic or again, well, I, I don't want to put a label. Radical agnostic. Radical agnostic. Yeah. 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 
I mean, yeah. So, I mean, so I like to like get into like how you came to be Heron Stone, because another thing that I came across uh, digging up your interesting story, you're well, at one point you weren't Heron Stone in more than one way. Yeah. uh, Can you kind of explain what I mean by that? You really did some research. (laughs) I'm I'm impressed. I love I love my guests, you know, and you're you're definitely interested. Yeah, I'm really impressed uh, that you go to that much trouble to figure out, you know, to prepare for what you're doing. That's that's great work. Yeah, in 1995, I changed my name. Do you did I did did we talk about this? No, but uh, I did listen to story too. It's a good story too. Um, You know, it's a it's common tradition in a lot of spiritual paths uh, that at a certain point you take on a new name. You know, you come Mm -hmm. to this realization that you've reached a new level or something or other. And I sort of came to that conclusion in 1995 that I just was, you know, after all the stuff I'd studied and gone through that I was, didn't really have much to do with this fellow. My original name was Dennis Horn. And I had no problems with that name, but I just, you know, realized that's not me anymore, you know? And so I was looking around for a new name and then I came up with this (laughs) <laughs> an idea that I'm so happy I stumbled on. You know what an anagram is, right? Yes, yes. Okay, you know, you rearrange the letters. Like the word spot can become pots or mm-hmm. stop or opts, you know. So the same letters, just put them in different order. Well, I wanted to do that, but I didn't. I wanted to do a phonetic anagram, not a letter anagram. Because Dennis has two ends, but it only has one N sound. Mm. It's not Dennis, you know, it's Dennis. So there's only one N. So when you write Dennis phonetically, it's D-E-N schwa S. Okay, schwa is a particular sound. Yeah. Uh, so I wrote my name phonetically and then started rearranging them and seeing what I could come up with, you know. Mm-hmm. And I came up with a number of possibilities. I had uh, Nerdo Hessen, which I really like. I, yeah, that's not too bad. Yeah. yeah I, well, if I ever change my name again, I'm going to go to. <laughs> if you have another awakening, I guess. Yeah, you never can tell. Yeah. And then there was Edna Hosner, and oh, and I use Edna Hosner still. I yeah, I use that a lot on Usenet. Whenever I need technical computer questions answered, I go to Usenet, and I always sign on as uh, as Edna uh, Hosner because I get a lot more responses. I from see. All the I nerdy, because nerdy yeah, guys yeah. out there. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So Edna, oh, let's see if we can oh help. Oh my God, yeah. So I got uh, Nerd O'Hessen, Edna Hosner, O. Henderson, uh, No Nurse Ahead, and Heron Stone. Mm. <laughs> Duh. There you go. <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, you know, it was pretty obvious what, the, what it was going to be. So that's how I became Heron Stone. And it's weird because my friends picked up on it right away. You know, I mean, I, they didn't have any problem. They just started calling me here. And oh, was, wow, really? But it took me a long time to get used to it. You know, they'd be saying, Heron, Heron. And, and I'm you're like, here, who, what? Just, oh, oh, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but they picked up. And it took me like a year to get used to being Heron. And um, yeah, so anyway, that's how I changed my name. Mm, so, yeah, there's so many uh, things I like to uh, uh, dig into here because it's like, Number one, so what exactly was it that happened around 1995 where we're like, okay, that name, I don't uh, resonate with Well, I've with been playing around with name changes for a while before that. 
uh, I'm not quite sure why, actually. <laughs> you know? Really interesting. Yeah. yeah uh, at one point, I was considering Aaron Alexander. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God. Oh, wow. In, yeah. in fact, I was, I was thinking for a business, Aaron Alexander and Associates, four A's. Mm. And, um, you know, I don't know why I was even playing with it. But by 1995, it, like I say, I just something came over me and I, I just felt I needed to change my name. So, so I did. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, that I, I just looked it up and I was right. Aaron Alexander is actually the name of like some guy in the biohacking space. And like, oh, really? I, I, I listened to his podcast, right? Really? Aaron Alexander? Aaron Alexander. <laughs> yeah, he's like this good looking model type guy. So I don't know, I guess you're... <laughs> you're getting some vibes from that so uh, yeah yeah i like that i don't know why i landed on it. like i said i played around it's probably i don't know i can go i all this stuff is in my journal so i, I could go back and probably locate the source of all this stuff mm. but yeah. yeah i had been thinking about it but then i don't know at some point I, it, I needed to do it i did something something told me i needed to change my name i that resonate with that so much because for a long time i've thought I've been thinking along the same lines, like, you know what? I was given this name. Why don't I change yeah. my name? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Be responsible. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, you know, I didn't choose this, you know, but it's one of the things about, you know, going online, you could choose all these different synonyms, yeah, uh, synonyms yeah, right. right? Yeah. But for my quote unquote real life, I don't know, whatever, however we want to call this world, I have this name. I call but, this world squish. Squish, yeah, the yeah, squish, yeah. yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah, as opposed to the the matrix, the matrix. Mm. People talk about this world like this, like this is reality, and the matrix isn't. Yeah, it's bullshit. Mm. They're both real. They're just different realities. Yeah, squish right. is one reality. The matrix, or whatever you want to call it, is another reality, and they're both real. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely agree with that. And the thing with my squish name, the thing is, it's almost like I never wanted to force it because it's like. I don't want to change my name, my quote unquote, you know, legal name, if I yeah. don't believe in that name. Yeah, so yeah. I've never, I've never like felt the, I, I've never felt the, the, the urge that I have to have a specific name, which is why I never changed it. But yeah. it's always a possibility at the back of my yeah. mind. I'm wondering Let's one start day. Start thinking about doing a, a phonetic anagram of your name. Maybe you can come mm -hmm. up with something. Yeah, I mean, like, the only thing, like, I thought about it is, like, backwards, like, Mick Trebla, that doesn't really work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, but, yeah, I would have to, yeah, like, something, perhaps. Uh, well, like mess around with Al 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 Albert, yeah. Well, okay, the only difference is that you wouldn't use the letter E. If you're doing phonetic, it, it's spelled, it would be exactly the same except for the E. The E is gone, and what's in there is what I call, uh, what's called a schwa. Yeah. It's the, uh, the sound, uh in mm. linguistics so it's not an e it's an uh sound but the rest of the letters are the same so it's it, well and albert well again it's the a ah sound it's not the letter a so it's not yeah. a or ah it's a ah. yeah so you can write a ah, you know, mm. and kim is just the same so mm. yeah mess around with it see what you can come up with you know yeah, I'm I may gonna... play with it myself after. <laughs> yeah, if you can think, of, I mean, look, I know you've been like this is like your whole realm, so send them my way anytime. That yeah, awesome. if I come up with something, I uh, I will definitely share it with you. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Yeah, so, Mick is a good start, though. It is, it is. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, though, I don't know, like it, it could. Uh, some people might get offended if they if they see that name. I don't know. Yeah, the I don't know the uh, the Who cares Irish what might not. People get offended. <laughs> Yeah, screw them. Yeah, I, I can see what <laughs> you know? you're saying. Oh, well, I got it. It is a consideration. I mean, if yeah, hmm. 
yeah, if your name was anus or something, <laughs> yeah. probably wouldn't be a good one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so um, I'd like to go into some more uh, discoveries, amazing discoveries. I came in my journey. Uh, and so going over your list of, of works and uh, the topics that you like to speak about and what you've kind of like, one of your life missions uh, has been like, you know, our language machine and like how like 95% of what we say, you know, I mean, is quote unquote, it's pretty much PS. And, and it's very interesting because um, as I mentioned to you in uh, the previous, uh, the Stoa session where we met each other is that this is extremely, extremely similar to our first guest on Nordic Nomads, uh, Robin Lever, uh, which as a reminder, he was, uh, he was a former international banker and self-professed uh, economic hitman who worked yeah. for the Rockefeller family, who, yeah. who became like friendly with them and such. And uh, he was not so keen on doing that type of work uh, for <laughs> after a while. He yeah. left and he went on a 10-year kind of spiritual solitary journey. And he studied a lot of works, um, in, in, uh, especially uh, like Alfred uh, Korzybski. And, uh, oh, really? He was in the Korzybski? Oh, that's I mean, rare. He, he, yeah, I mean, that's, he was, that, that seems to me like the one uh, thinker that he kept mentioning over and over really? and over. That's really rare. There aren't that many people who know who Korzybski is. And yeah, and, uh, yeah, and like I've published uh, two pieces on my site who, that specifically go over the concept of like, he specifically mentions 95%, like the 95% figure, he's that same figure. And I also noticed that you, you mentioned the caterpillar chrysalis butterfly yeah. metaphor. Yeah. I don't know where exactly that came from for you because his, his, his organization yeah. is 10 syllables and those 10 syllables stand for caterpillar chrysalis butterfly. <laughs> so I don't know where this, the, these, uh, the, this, this yarn, this string is coming from. So uh, is it like, is it Asagioli, Bohm, Ramdas, Krishnamurti? Because these are also thinkers. Uh, I think some of these ideas are just there, you know, the cat, they're, they're already there in the butterfly. And as those of us who are tuned into that part of it, mm. we sort of find these ideas that work. Metamorphosis is a great metaphor, but again, it's only a metaphor. Uh, earth is not actually a caterpillar. <laughs> yeah. It's an earth, but it seems to be going th some, through something like a metamorphosis. And, and it's a, a good analogy, I think. Mm. But yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I find lots of similarities all over the place. They're kind of vague right now. My sense is in the next 10 or 20 years, all this stuff is going to kind of coalesce into a, a single story. Mm, or more definitely. or less, you know. Yeah, yeah so like, okay. yeah. Because, yeah, that's what a lot of people refer this to as this moment is like the meta crisis, you know, the crisis yeah. of crises, you know, like you're going to go over climate, you want to talk about uh, political, uh, uh, you know, what I mean, uh, well, every, yeah, every single aspect of our civilization is about to collapse. Mm, yeah, you know? I mean, that's why have we talked about punctuated equilibrium. Mm, uh, I still no, no. Okay. Do you know, have you heard that term before? I've, I've, I've heard of it. And I don't recall, but yeah, I would love okay, to. Well, it's, it's relatively simple. I mean, for you know, the last hundred years or so, Darwin's theory of evolution was the, the sort of standard thing we were all taught. You know, and the evolution takes millions of years for one species to gradually, you know, century by century, minute little changes accumulate. And then mm -hmm. eventually you've got a new species after a million years. 
The problem is the fossil record doesn't support that. And the Christians have jumped all over that from the beginning. Uh, yeah. What the fossil record shows is one species. And then the next layer up, there's another species. And mm. it's closely related to this one. But there's nothing in between. Uh, yeah. There are some intermediates, certain snail. There, there are not some, a number of intermediates that, that show the progression, but not that many. You know, mostly what you see is this species, and then there's another species, and then there's another species, and mm. so on. So in 1970 something or other, Niles Eldridge and uh, Stephen Gould wrote a book called, or not a book, but a scientific paper called Punctuated Equilibrium, in uh, which yeah. they addressed this discrepancy between the, the, the way evolution was taught and the fossil record. And what they, they made a couple of observations. First of all, species don't evolve, ecosystems evolve. It's, it's pointless to talk about a given organism, you know, in, a, in an ecosystem just evolving by itself. Mm. It, it's a member of an organization and they all depend on each other and they all influence one another. So species don't evolve, ecosystems evolve. Mm. And, uh, and so anyway, what they got was when they looked at this thing, they realized that evolution is not a slow, gradual process. What happens is these ecosystems stay stable for millions of years uh, with little ripples in the surface, you know, little changes here and there, but mostly stable. And then for some reason, some parameter gets pushed too far. Nobody knows why at this point, but the whole system goes into upheaval. Uh, and very quickly, a bunch of shit changes, and then it stabilizes again for millions of years in this mm. new order. And that's the way evolution proceeds, is that it's mostly stable for long periods, and then there's a short period, that the punctuation, and then there's equilibrium again. Uh, and, uh, and it's clear that we are currently living in one of those punctuations. You know, it's yeah. just beyond that. And, and these uh, punctuations, depending upon the lifespan of the organism, can be very quick. In England, in the 1800s, when the Industrial Revolution really got going, there were these moths that were sort of white colored and they are all over the place, sort of a nuisance. But all the elm trees, uh, you know, or whatever tree, well, I don't remember now, the, the, the moths could land on the bark and they were the same color as the uh, as the tree and so the birds couldn't spot them easily okay but as soon as the industrial revolution got started there was smoke and soot covering all the trees I see, yeah. which made them dark gray and those white moths would land on it and get picked off by birds immediately mm. within like 20 years all the moths were dark gray ah. so they changed so in 20 years uh, the species changed from being one color to being another because all the light colored ones got picked off <laughs> immediately yeah, and the exactly. darker ones lasted a little bit longer and the even darker ones. So um, anyway, the, so the time frame is, is uh, variable on the, depending upon the life cycles of the, of the species you're talking about. Anyway, it's real clear that uh, this punctuation for humans began around 10,000 years ago with the agricultural revolution. That, that was sort of one of the major turning points. And, and I think we're close to the end of this. And I think the difference that this, there's a new species of human emerging. Yes, that's and interesting. That, yeah. And that it's not based on b body configuration or any of that stuff. It's really about how we 
how our language machines function. That's mm. the distinction between the old humans and the new humans. The old humans, like I say, for 200,000 years have been entranced by the voice in our head. But now, we, I mean, and that worked. That wasn't, that wasn't a bad idea. It worked really great until the last couple hundred years, you know. And now it's clear that it's time for us to wake up. And the new species will not be entranced by the voice in their head. They will be the programmers of the voice in their head. Uh, I see. Hmm. Okay. So, uh, yeah, a lot of things uh, we, could, we could tackle here. So, so I'd like to start with... so. Are you, so this punctuation point, I believe you called it. So you believe it started 10,000 years ago. And oh, no, then... I don't believe anything. Okay, okay, okay. Story, I'm sorry about the language machine. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. How should I frame? How I should... forgive you. I forgive okay. you. I <laughs> okay, so, okay. Uh, I assume. You're, See, you're, that's you're the assume. difference between believing and operating on conscious assumptions. Mm. Okay, I see. Okay, so... You assume that this punctuation port started about 10,000 years ago with uh, agriculture. Yeah. And then now we're, we're basically at the tail end yeah, of it. Yeah, right think... at the end of this, yeah. At least that's what it seems like to me. Hmm. Now, okay, so, I mean, yeah, so let's start getting into the language machine, uh, the monkey, all, all these uh, amazing concepts that uh, you use. So basically, um, what exactly is... How, how would you describe the language machine and how it relates to where we are as monkeys yeah. or in our, in our state as a species? Well, okay. First of all, I've got a theory about where this thing came from. I mean, actually, it's quite controversial in the linguistics and in any community. Nobody has a clue as to really where the language, where language comes from. You know, oh, right. I mean, some theories say it goes back 100,000 years. Some theories say it goes back, you know, a million years there's no evidence one way or another for any of it. There's just a bunch of competing theories, none of which is uh, ascended to the, you know, being generally accepted, but I've got my theory. Okay. Mm, yes. And my theory is that it's an outgrowth of our mammalian uh, navigation system and not just mammalian, but that all animals that live in a home base, whether it's a hole in the ground or a nest in a tree or wherever, if they live in, if they have a home base and then they have to have a, a navigation system. They have to know where the food is, where the water is, where possible danger areas are. And as they navigate, as they move around, they have to have some system in their brains that recognize certain features in the environment. Like if they're looking for water, they must know that when they get up out of their hole, there's a big rock here. And you go towards that rock and when you go past it, you'll see some trees over here. And then you go over there and then, and then they're down a place and then there's a little river there. Okay. Mm, yeah. But those things, there have to be um, labels or something like that, like words really, but uh, in their nervous system that identify certain aspects of the environment and label them for certain purposes. And that's what a navigation system does. Yeah, and if you look at it, that's pretty much what language does. <laughs> you know, mm. uh, we, we have labels for certain aspects of our experience. I mean, but of course we've taken it infinitely beyond navigating a physical environment. You look at groups of baboons, well, navigating for baboons also involves dealing with the other members of the troop. So you have to know who the alpha male is so you don't step on his toes, mm. you know, and 
it gets more complicated as you, as you get closer to humans, you know, again, uh, navigating the, the uh, social structure of a primate pack is part of the navigation system. And then humans just, you know, just how that happened, who knows, you know, but humans just ended up in another dimension <laughs> because of all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, what, what was the question? <laughs> uh, I mean, it was just going. Uh, so, how, uh, what exactly? Your thoughts on what the language machine is, yeah. and like, how okay, well, what it is? It. it consists of certain areas in the left hemisphere, Broca's area, Wernicke's area, probably some motor neurons that are hooked up to uh, the tongue and the larynx and the lungs and the whole, literally, the physical or thing that uh, that facilitates speaking. You know. Uh, and, and, and it's, that's it. It's real simple. Uh, and again, see, when I talk about the voice in the head, most people think about the voice in the head as something they hear. They, they, that's the way we talk about it. You know, yeah, I hear the voice in my head. You know. But if you, if you pay careful attention, you don't actually hear it. It's not something mm, yeah. in the ears, you know. Well, actually, let's do an experiment. Um, I want you to imagine hearing the sound ah. Don't say it out loud, just hear it. I mean, you know, anyway, imagine you're hearing the sound ah. Okay, right? You got it? Yep. Okay, now, now I want you to hear the sound e. Okay? Yeah. Can you do that? You, you can imagine hearing ah or imagine hearing e, right? Yes. Okay, now I want you to switch back and forth. Ah, e, ah, e, ah, e, relatively quickly. And by the way, that's the, the word I. <laughs> mm, yes, exactly, yeah. Uh, but so now my question for you is, how do you know when you're hearing the sound ah? How do I know? Now, when, when, when I, you mean when I hear the sound physically? No, no. I mean, when you're imagining the sound ah, you know you're not imagining e, right? Yeah. Okay. So how do you know? It's the way <laughs> uh, it, it's... I don't know. It feels, I don't know. I don't even know how to. Yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's getting there. Yes. Okay. It feels. Um, Pay attention to your tongue. Switch back and forth between ah and e. Is, is my tongue moving? I, I don't know. Well, it may not be moving, but it might want to move. Mm, yeah, that's it's the thing. Like I'd be, I'd be unconscious of it. So like, yeah, well, it was it's like hard an to... isometric exercise, you know, where you, uh, you put tension in the muscle, nothing actually moves, but oh, there's tension okay. in the muscle. For ah, where's your tongue want to go? And that will switch back and forth again between ah and e. It wants to lower? Yeah, it wants to go down mm. for ah, it wants to go up for e. Mm. Oh, I see. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to do. I'm so conscious of it. Yeah, I know. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. Once you get aware of it, it, it becomes pretty, pretty obvious that mm. on is down and E is up. And every, every phoneme in English, the, you know, E, er, all of those are very specific muscular configurations in the vocal tract. Mm. And when we're thinking in English, we are literally sub-vocalizing. Although the, the movement is so subtle, I mean, you, you know, we don't pay any attention to it. But then that's hooked up to memory. So we tend, and then we talk about it, we say, well, yeah, I, I can hear my voice, but you don't actually hear it. You're actually sub vocalizing. It's a muscular movement in your vocal tract. Mm, interesting. That's what thinking, thinking, and, and for people who are deaf, how do they think? 
with their hands and their arms and their facial expressions. It's distributed over a much larger muscle system. But again, thinking is a muscular activity. Wow. That is the definition of embodied knowledge. Wow. That really takes takes it to another level. Wow. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I don't even know where to go from there. No, I know. Listen, you're a perfect student. Um, you just know when to shut up. <laughs> you know, Thank you. I mean, you know, yeah, that damn, was... what the hell? Where do you go with that one? Yeah, that's a big one. Realizing that thinking is a muscular activity. Mm. Yeah, that is so interesting. Um, so is this like, is this similar to like, so I guess when we're, so I know like, uh, like I, I've read about like speed reading, like I've never actually done like a course on speed reading. I did. Yeah. Oh, you have. So it's like, they say that one of the problems with how we traditionally read is that we sub vocalize. Yeah. yeah. And that, and, and is that the, like, would that be the same process where the, the well, no, that's what I'm saying. speed reading is a ripoff. So. I, I did a speed reading course and I got my money back when I blackmailed them because they weren't <laughs> going to give me my money back. They, the way they, the way they, I, they're a long time ago is the Evelyn Wood speed reading course. And I took it when I was, you know, in my early twenties. And I realized immediately after the testing that, but the way they tested to see whether you passed, whether you actually learned how to speed read is they give you this test. They had us read a book. In fact, it was The Old Man in the Sea by Hemingway, hmm. uh, which everybody already sort of has heard about, knows a little bit about it. Yeah. And then they gave us like 20, we read it in like 10 minutes, right? You know, <laughs> you know like yeah. and then they gave us a test. And the test was a series of like 20 multiple choice questions. Two of which, and four, there were like four answers for each of the multiple choice, two of which you could immediately dismiss as being stupid. Mm, and okay. that, that leads, you, leads you guessing between one of two, which is 50%. Yeah. You know, and, and, if you, and you might have picked up a few things here and there along here. So, mm-hmm. so, so if you guess, if you've only got two to eliminate, and so that's 50%. And if you get maybe 50% of the other ones, maybe right, that gets you up to 75. And they would call that 75% comprehension. Wow. So they, uh, <laughs> they, they, they rigged the system, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, couldn't, you couldn't not pass. You know? Yeah, exactly. You know, like I say, if you never, if I hadn't even looked at the book ever, I probably could have got 50% comprehension. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. So, so is it, so would you say like all speed reading is kind of like, because I've heard very varying as far as accounts on that. Yeah. I'm saying there may be special individuals who, in fact, you know, I mean, there are idiot savants, there are all sorts of special people with brains that operate in weird ways. So Mm. I'm not saying it's impossible for a person to actually, I mean, really speed read and actually comprehend it. That may be possible, but it certainly isn't for most people. And it certainly wasn't for me. And, and when I read, I, I don't like reading fiction. I only read nonfiction because the only yeah, way- Yeah, that's I, been me for a long time. Yeah, yeah, the only way I can read is to sub-vocalize, you know? I mm. mean, I have to, to actually go through the process and, and, and then maybe stop and think about what that sentence just said or the paragraph and then maybe go back and reread it, you know? Mm. Uh, fiction, I prefer listening to it. Uh, the last fiction I listened to was Dan Brown's- uh, big da vinci code oh yeah that thing yeah and um and i I, and i just got a an audio of a really good reader you know who was reading it that was great 
you know, it's much better reading it, you know, because I read, I only, I only know how to study. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You know, and, and fiction is great. They have a good reader. You know, I mean, again, that's where that all comes from, sitting around the campfire, you know, 40,000 years yeah, ago. You're right. Yeah, right. Somebody tell the story of the, of the hunt that day or, or something, you know. Mm. So that's uh, fiction I love. Well, actually, I don't really give a shit about fiction much, but uh, when I do it, I like to listen to somebody good read it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very much like, like you said, like the like, like the great star- storyteller around the campfire, and yeah, you're like, yeah. you're like you're more absorbed into it because like it's, oh, it's someone fun. else. Yeah, yeah, and like to me, for me, reading isn't really well. It's, it's fun, but it's just a different kind of fun, you know. I mean, it's an intense kind of interaction where I, again, where I read, I may have to read a paragraph two or three times sometimes, you know, because it's triggering thoughts, and and I want to stop and think about it for a moment and then go on, you know. Uh, I don't want to listen to that. You know, I want to. I want to read that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's thing. I've been uh, the same way. But like this, there's a part of me. Like for a long time, I was like, "Why am I reading fiction? I want to quote unquote get better. I want to understand this." Yeah. But there's also part of me that, um, like, my my personal view is like, I want to. I don't know. I want to just let it go and just explore like these yeah. realms yeah. that are like kind of like illogical. Like yeah, maybe they kind of yeah. Some fiction can be very enlightening too. I mean, mm. it's not just nonfiction that you can learn from. And some yes, exactly. Yeah, right. you know, some fiction's great. I love science fiction. I've read a lot exactly. of science fiction. And like that, I would like to like dig on that a little bit because uh, one of the things I don't know how you okay. I know you don't like labels, but like I've heard the term transhuman used yeah. a bit uh, in the in your podcast. And here's the thing with me. Uh, for a while, I kind of tr- like, you know, the, the label thing. I don't really buy into the labels anymore, but for the while, I kind of consider myself like a transhumanist yeah. in the sense, like I wanted to transcend, like very much like you, like this monkey, yeah. this monkey body, this monkey yeah. way of thinking and whether that not just like technology and science, but also like, like, like in terms of like the way I think in terms of like spiritually, yeah. what, it, yeah. what, like the, what the definition of humanity is so that's yeah. like another uh realm like that that science fiction a whole other rabbit hole to go down yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> i would just like to understand i would like to know like what what your i guess view is on yeah. what a transhuman is yeah what, well, it, yeah are you a transhuman is another yeah. question yeah i don't i i was real interested in that movement for quite a while i, I don't really think about it much anymore because I, it's, it's too long term i'm really just focused sort of on the next 20 or 30 years hmm. although th- there's a lot of stuff going on my sense is that biology probably is a, a phase of universal evolution and, and that we're going to transcend biology at some point. And so, I mean, it's like going into space and traveling around. The, I mean, dragging a, a biological organism around is ridiculous. You know, if, if you can, you can do the whole thing. Well, again, and these body. I mean, again, all this stuff, this monkey is great for sex. It's great for sports. It's <laughs> yeah, great exactly. for all sorts of things. Yeah. It's not very good for experimenting, traveling around in the universe. <laughs> you know, it's probably better better uh, forms to, to to be in and probably doesn't need you know all this stuff is you know is good for what we do here but i think our, our long-term future is probably gonna leave human monkeys behind mm. but i think that's a ways off still yeah and i think about that right and like just just you saying that right now it triggered a thought in me because it's like 
you're right that I do think whatever we are, first of all, I mean, humanity itself is, is, is a label. It's a, it's a construct. Like yeah. whatever this yeah. is, species, whatever, it's just another, yeah. you know, yeah. label story. But like in a sense, like, I can see ourselves kind of, uh, I guess, dematerializing into, I don't, I don't know, purer information, pure energy. Yeah. I don't know what to call it. Yeah, yeah. well, it could be just like a distribute. You know, once we get the planetary nervous system in, well, it's already intact. We're in it right now. I mean, exactly. We're yeah. right now as part yeah. of this. Yeah, and what it becomes, well, see, that's the other thing is that I don't really have a clue what the word I means anymore. Mm. You know, so if, if I becomes totally detached from, uh, from this monkey thing here, Maybe it's distributed around the the planetary nervous system. Maybe I is Earth itself. Mm, yeah. Or maybe I is Bob. You know, <laughs> at some level. You know. Yeah, um, and and I saw you. I saw in your uh, bibliography you mentioned uh, Teilhard de Chardin. Yeah. And he speaks I a lot. Even know how to say it. <laughs> I, I, I hope I didn't butcher that. Oh, all right. Yes. <laughs> I tried my best. Yeah, so, Amazing. <laughs> and, yeah, and he was in, yeah, he spoke, uh, I mean, he brought up the concepts of, uh, the noosphere. That, yeah, the noosphere, he spoke yeah. the geosphere, biosphere, yeah. noosphere. And like, yeah. this is something that I see, we're talking about this whole emergence thing, this the yeah. Gaia. And like, I, you know, there's a lot of ways we could think about it. Like I was just thinking the other day, we're like, no, I was thinking this morning, actually, I was like, oh, we're the, we're Gaia's neurons or like, yeah. Yeah. we're yeah. like, we're, yeah, we're the, we're the universe's sense organs. Like there's so yeah. many yeah. ways that that we can look at it. There are a couple levels. I, and I think not, they're not mutually exclusive. Mm, yeah, you know, yeah, I yeah. can operate at the, at the level of the cell in my body. I can operate at the level of Heron here. I can mm. operate as a, a neuron in earth's brain. Mm. I can operate at the level of earth itself, or maybe the solar system, or maybe the galaxy, or, you know, uh, mm. I can probably, and of course, then ultimately get like my religion is I is Bob. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And like, and I'll just, and I was just thinking like, I was just thinking the other day, like I was on Twitter, right? I don't know if you're on Twitter or social media or anything yeah. like that, but like, I was like heavy on Facebook, but that's about the only one. Ah, and I'm getting dragged into LinkedIn now. So. <laughs> yeah. I saw you. I saw your, uh, yeah, your profile there. And uh, what was it? Uh, wait, this is hilarious. Wait a minute. The first, okay. The first time that we, we came across each other on Socra on uh, the Socratic speed dating, the social yeah. was, I was coming off my acid trip. Right. And I told you about that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That was the one, that was my uh, acid trip I had uh, several weeks ago. And then just last week, I took some uh, something from even more powerful. I took some um, DMT. And uh, while I was on DMT, well, it wasn't DMT. It was a DMT like derivative, right? A, a gray yeah. market. Okay, allegedly, I'm kidding everyone. I didn't. I don't mean that. But <laughs> and uh, so like, and, yeah, and, right, like yeah. this is all speculative. This is all speculative. I, this is all make believe. This is an assumption. So, I have my own little speculative story to share with you when you. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. I'd love to hear it. So, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, unlike conventional advice, uh, I actually go on social media and I start engaging even more, way more when I'm on allegedly on this stuff. Oh, uh, during the, the uh, yeah the like yeah, okay. in the deep of it and like yeah i lose followers but that's okay like I, yeah. it's kind of yeah, you don't kinda, need those followers <laughs> exactly it filter out like who who's part yeah, of the tribe absolutely. and who is it right so like one of the things that i deeply felt while like i was under uh the in, in this experience and i was like i was in like tweeting Not under in in the experience right so and i was attempting to tweet right and like i could just sense i was like wait a minute 
I'm not tweeting. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's like, I'm being tweeted. These tweets, uh, yeah. these, these you know I mean? it's like, I'm being tweeted. Yeah. It's like Twitter yeah. is, it's like, yeah. It's Bob. It's Bob. It's Bob doing his thing. That's it's right. Like, That's right. It's just my own little, uh, Bob. <laughs> you know, my language machine, my monkey mind, whatever yeah. is thinking, oh, I'm, yeah, did like, oh, this is of my own volition, but no, this is Bob. Bob is tweeting right now. Like, I'm yeah. being tweeted yeah, right now. And, yeah. Yeah, and like I realize, like that's like again, like all these different levels, which may be true at a level, but you know, it's just like it, I guess. It's, well, it's, again, I don't think we need to use the word true. There are yeah, useful yeah, ways yeah. of thinking in various circumstances. Mm, yeah, I mean, definitely. So again, so Heron, I would love to hear uh, your uh, well, uh, story. I I think I don't know if we talked about it before, but I'm a, at least I I've tried LSD five times back in the '60s. Mm. Didn't do anything to me. And, and I was oh yeah you didn't yeah, mention we, that yeah, yeah. I, I was immune to it and, yeah and I did went to some extents to make sure that I was getting stuff and it was being handled right and everything but it never I never got off on it so that mm. disappointed me about two years ago um, I got a hold of some DMT enough mm. for three doses that didn't work either mm. the, the the most dramatic thing that happened was that I got a little bit of sort of like geometric design stuff yes, on yes. in my visual field. That lasted maybe 30 seconds and wow. then was gone. That was it. That was the extent. So I started thinking, well, shit, I'm immune to acid. I'm immune to DMT. Shit. <laughs> you know? I've, never heard, I've never heard of that before. That's Yeah, well, well, I'm about to test uh, again because a, a friend of mine just mailed me uh, enough for about 10 doses of DMT. Whoa. And he's yeah. going to walk me through. He's kind of an expert in this stuff. And he's, he's going to, we're going to build a device, you know, uh, to do it in. And he's going to walk me through it and make sure. I mean, we know that the stuff I'm getting is good. And uh, he's going to lead me through the process. So in the next week or two, I, I've got to buy a couple things to, you know, that I'm going to need for doing it. So uh, sometime in the next two weeks, I'm probably going to do DMT again. And we'll see if I actually wow. am immune to it or uh, I, I, either way, it's going to blow my mind. If I don't get off, exactly. on it, that's going to blow my mind. I mean, if I do get off on it, I'm sure it's going to yeah. blow my mind so yeah yeah who knows like a couple weeks later we're gonna you're, you're no longer gonna be a heron stone you're gonna be what yeah because like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah i mean that that that's that's like first like that's amazing like, i i've never heard of someone like literally being pretty much immune like do you have any thoughts on that is it is, well, do you I think, think almost like you're probably, tripping all the time or something yeah, yeah. no i think everybody well i'm thinking possibly part of it is all the work i've done in linguistics i think i've seriously rewired my brain wow and I, but mm. whether that has anything to do with it or not i really don't have any way of knowing but also people's uh, body chemistry everybody's body chemistry is mm. different yeah. maybe my body chemistry just doesn't metabolize lsd or dmt for some reason i don't know or maybe i just did it wrong i'm pretty sure that I'd like to try LSD again and see if, if anything has changed because that was like 40 years ago that I did that. So, mm. you know, who knows? Uh, yeah, like even for myself, like I took my, the, uh, the first one, uh, the first uh, try for DMT, like it was like, woo, it was super intense. I had visualizations. I had uh, like a like I never have visualizations other than like you said like the geometric patterns or whatnot. But I never have like some people see like 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 DMT uh, like entities. Elves and yeah, I was like I, I was like I can't no yeah I'm I'm actually about to ask on Twitter 
like what other people's experiences because i've never had anything close to like the, these these entities these elves yeah. or anything yeah the, but the closest i had was on the first time on dmt is because like i closed my mind and i went inside and then i did imagine like this fiery spiral this fiery red spiral that like it's kind of like run through all of creation and it's almost like the the the, the vital force out of which like yeah. all of creation it's kind of like my sense of it's like it's like it's like, it's like what everything comes out of this deep yeah. intense force and like I, i'd be laying in bed and i'd be like lurching and i was i'd be crying like it was super intense but the second time around it was pretty much the same dose but i was like it was way i was way kind of like it was it was kind of normal for me so yeah. even that so i, I kind of got normalized how much experience sense. in the past have you had with drugs uh well specifically like like, like psychedelics and entheogens and that it's like eh, like uh, around a dozen 12 15 times i would say and, and yeah. when did you start how old were you Ooh, probably maybe f- first time was probably i mean of course I mean, marijuana and whatever a long time yeah, ago that, but like well listen, that, yeah marijuana can be incredibly intense i've never had good marijuana really? never i live in new jersey in new york new jersey i've never had let, let me, let me before you go let me tell you about my very first marijuana trip oh yeah sure uh, i was like I think I was like 21 or 22. I'd already discovered Alan Watts mm. or no Well, I don't know. It was about around. Maybe I had any, in any case, uh, somebody brought some marijuana over and, and I was laying on the floor and, you know, and I had this record player back in his 1967, you know, so and with these two speakers, I had them laying on the floor and I was laying, I was laying on the floor between the two speakers yeah. to get maximum stereo <laughs> and loudness and i was playing a song by the rolling stones called going home and i don't mm. know if you've ever heard that song um, i will pretty soon I'm gonna, it's I'm gonna 13 for it. minutes long oh, wow. and there are two versions on the internet the different uh different mixes and one of my like and one of my don't and i don't know how to identify them now but if I, I can send you the mp3 oh yeah you. sure that'd be awesome if you remind me because i won't remember uh but in any case I was laying on the floor listening to this. And it's a long piece. It's like 13 minutes long. And there's this part near the end where Mick Jagger is, is going, come on. And there's this, come on. <laughs> you know, and It's just repeating it over and over and over again. And at that point, this whole, uh, just this wild hallucination. Mick Jagger was standing on, uh, was inside of a mouth, the stage was oh, wow. a mouth and he was on the tongue and the tongue was like undulating and Mick Jagger was undulating and the teeth were undulating and everything. And I sort of sailed back from that a little bit and there was an audience underneath me, but the audience was just nothing but hair. It was just hair waving with the beat, you know, yeah. it was like, like, like in water almost, you know, just with the waves. So here's Mick Jagger on this undulating tongue and an audience of nothing but hair and me suspended in the air above it. And that was my first marijuana trip. <laughs> that was your, wait, that was your first time that you yeah, went? Oh very my first God. time. Yeah. So that, that was, like I said, that was as important as anything else that ever happened to me in my life. I mean, because I never, uh, I never understood that anything like that could happen. Wow. You know, I mean, yeah. I never, never even imagined anything like that. And all of a sudden, I find myself experiencing this shit, and I was not afraid or anything. It was just stunning. I was just blown away by the whole thing. It was great fun. 
<laughs> and that was the best best marijuana trip I ever had. It was downhill from there. That's the worst. You're chasing that high the rest of your life. Oh my yeah, god! I finally quit. I gave up. <laughs> it wasn't going to happen. It's like okay, I'm done with that. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was really a shock. I mean, like I said, I just didn't understand my concept. Even with Alan Watts, you know, I knew that everything was just a story in my head, but I'd never experienced anything visually, you know, perceptually like that. I, I just had no idea that that was possible. So that shook me deeply. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and like, yeah, again, like going on on, on that because it's like there's almost like a psychedelic renaissance going on right now. You got like, yeah, I mean, everywhere. I mean, like, like maps, uh, that's, they're having like uh, all these like clinical trials for psychedelics. Michael. That's why it's all legal now. The psilocybin. uh, Yeah. It's all, it's all in the process getting legalized. Michael, Michael Pollan. He's a big, you know, uh, journalist and author. He just wrote a book uh, on psychedelics. Oh, this is getting huge, especially in the, the podcast sphere. Like it's getting, it's getting everywhere. Like there's like uh, Joe 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 Rogan's. Yeah. Silicon Valley is obsessed with it, uh, microdosing and all that. Yeah. So in a way, it's 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 kind of like it's kind of like Gaia. It's like Bob. Yeah. It's like it's like it's like kind of nudging us, like, hey, I hey, think take this, this is take all this. part of that. Yeah, I think that's we're waking up. I say we've been entranced for two hundred thousand years. Mm. You know, we've lived in this really narrow little this little reality bubble that we have created, or that our language machines have created for us that worked. You know, it, it was fine for, you know, being a language monkey, but uh, that, that that's just insufficient, you know, and we're beginning to wake up. Mm. Yeah. And like, and like, I would like, like, I would like now to get like, dig into what exactly you mean by like these illusions, like, cause, yeah, cause like after you had your awakening and then you went through, I don't know, this journey with all these uh, readings or, or, or teachings. Like, yeah. can you like tell us what exactly happened well, and how you happened yeah, to I go can down break this path? It, there are three distinct phases of this thing for me. Alan Watts in 1967 started. The way I tell it is that Alan Watts got my spiritual virginity. Mm. Alfred Korzybski knocked me up. And, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and Ray Kurzweil delivered the baby. Oh, Ray Kurzweil. <laughs> Interesting. So, so what happened is, like I say, I, um, after Alan Watts, I mean, I was heavy into Zen for 10 years, mm. you know, going to meditations and workshops and all sorts of shit and meditating deeply for years. But at around 10, 12 years into that, I realized, you know, actually, I really was no closer to what it was I was searching yeah. for. I was a lot better at talking about it. I had everybody else fooled. Uh, but, you know, inside, I knew that I didn't know for sure what I was even looking for, but I knew I hadn't found it. Mm. And then the only mentor, the only real life mentor I've ever had in my life was a college professor when I was in, in college interesting guy his name's mike romanoff and he was uh, actually a descendant of the roman the russian czar oh wow he, he was like a fourth cousin five times removed or something you know but he was a geology professor at cal state dominguez hills mm. and a weird guy too i mean he lived in his truck <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah a college professor weird guy but but the most brilliant guy ever. I mean, he read like three four books a day and he remembered oh my everything. god if yeah. only if only i could do that oh my uh, god yeah. he was just he was an amazing guy and anyway he turned me on to alfred korzybski okay I see. and 
uh, and that was again my next big awakening. Uh, Alan Watts was first, and then there was Alfred Korzybski in his book *Science and Sanity*. And one of the things I got out of that book, which was really significant, was that I realized from him that there were two ways of disposing of a nagging question. One way is to find an adequate answer, you know, that puts that question behind you. You're looking for something, here's the answer, boom, it's done. That question's gone. Mm. But there's another way to do away with a nagging question, and that's to realize that the question itself is nonsense. Mm, just because yeah. it sounds like a sentence. If I ask you, do colorless green ideas sleep furiously? Well, you're probably not going to lose much <laughs> sleep on that. Yeah. You know? That's just pretty dumb. Well, when we ask questions like, who am I and what's the purpose of life? <laughs> you know, we, yeah. Those sound like good questions. But once you understand the linguistics involved in some of this stuff, you begin to realize that those questions are so vague as to be meaningless, never could be answered because they literally don't mean a damn thing, you know? Mm. And it took me a while to really get that because I was having trouble formulating the questions that I'd been seeking answers to for 20 years. And I kept trying to figure out what is the question here and I couldn't formulate it. And I thought, mm. well, I'm just too stupid you know, to do it. But eventually it began to dawn on me, oh, wait a minute, I, I can't put these together in any meaningful uh, way using English language. I have been unsuccessful in formulating the question. And eventually what began to happen is the questions just started to evaporate. They just, I, I was no longer seeking enlightenment. I was no longer looking for answers to things because I couldn't even ask the question. <laughs> and so that was huge. I mean, when you to go from the place where you're seeking answers to examining the language that formulates the question mm. and realizing that the question is nonsense the way it's presently formed, then then you try to formulate it in some meaningful way. And if and I was unable to formulate them in any meaningful way. And in the process of that, those questions just started to evaporate. They just no longer drove me. Mm. So that was the second great insight, and that was Korzybski. And then and at that point, I sort of stopped. I was happy. I, had, <laughs> I wasn't seeking anything anymore. Mm. You know, I, I was content to just go day to day and do what, you know, eat breakfast and <laughs> go to sleep at night mm. and do whatever I did. Maybe so you weren't doing Agendo at this point, or were you? Well, no, I still was. Oh, you uh, were? Well, well, that was when I really got on to calling it Gendo and thinking uh. about those terms, because uh, Alan Watts... Alan Watts was affected by Korzybski, too. He mentions Korzybski oh, a couple okay. times in his writings. But I, I wasn't yet, I mean, I, I was vaguely aware that language was important, but I hadn't really focused on it until Korzybski. Korzybski is the guy who got me to focus on language itself and the structure of language. Hmm. But in any case, um, I knew the world was changing. I, I, mean, I mean, I was pretty clear that, you know, the world's going to be very different in the future and that things are changing and it's a dynamic situation. But to me at that point, it was like, that's a hundred years from now. This is not going to happen next week, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I really disengaged. I was just sort of happy, you know, eating breakfast and <laughs> doing whatever I did with no particular goal of achieving anything or doing anything in particular. But then I read um, the singularity is near. Mm. And uh, all of a sudden I got, no, man, this is happening now. 
this isn't a hundred years yeah. from now. This is the next 20 years, maybe next 30 years for sure that the whole world's going to change and that language is actually a crucial issue in this whole process. So Korzybski got me back in the game because I realized that this stuff, you know, there, there was actually something I could do, you know, in some capacity to participate in this because this is happening now, right now. It's not a hundred years from now. Mm. So those were the three big influences of my life. Those three really sort of define my, my whole existence almost. Yeah, I mean, and like, yeah, like, like that's the thing, like Kurzweil is like one of those thinkers that like, he's always pops up, but I've never actually, I know about the singularity. I know all about kind of the, almost like a singularitarian religion for some people yeah, they kind of yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, describe it as, but like, I've never actually read his work like specifically. And I'm wondering like, what exactly? I don't think you need to. I think it's, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, it's really, really, all I got out of that book is it changed my time frame. And I, I think everybody's sort of on that time frame now. Everyone understands the whole world is in upheaval and it's changing very quickly. Uh, like I say, up until I read Korzybski, I mean, uh, Kurzweil, I was thinking, yeah, the world's going to change, but it's 100 years from now. You know, there's nothing mm. for me to do, nothing to worry about. I'm just going to live my life and have fun. Mm. Uh, yeah, I just, you know, and then Kurzweil, like they just pulled the rug out from underneath that. It was clear that this is going to happen in my lifetime. You know, this is happening now today. Yeah. And like, uh, going through your, your episodes, uh, I believe it was an episode from 2009. I believe that at least that was when it was published. And you, you, you said that you expected America to be over oh, within yeah. a, within about 10 years, but well, maybe I may have been a little optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, but, but then right after you said, but maybe 20. Yeah, or maybe oh, yeah. 30, yeah. I, I, in 2009, I don't remember what I, I've been, my time frame has been going down. I remember once, yeah, I used to say like 20 to 30, and then I was 10 to 20, and now I'm like 5 to 15. 5 to 15, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so yeah. So I'm very curious about, okay, well, everything. Okay, so, uh, so just so everyone knows, we just, quote, unquote, declared for now that Joe Biden won the presidency, who knows what happens from here? But yeah. I'm very curious uh, with the way, especially we talk about Kurzweil and the yeah. time frame for when all this is going to happen. So what do you yeah. think about like where we are right yeah. now? Like, what are your thoughts right now on this yeah. moment? Yeah. In the yeah. next well, this years? has been fascinating to observe this whole thing. Uh, I, I, I really do think the United States is going to be gone maybe within five years, certainly within 10. Really? really? Yeah. And just how that'll go. Well, there's just one of the things I've come to realize is that, that there's this divide between the Trumpsters and the rational human beings. <laughs> and that there's really nothing to talk about. You know, there, there's just no need to debate. You know, that they don't respond to logic or facts or any of that stuff you know mm -hmm. so there's nothing to talk about so it seems to me that what's going to happen is the northeast and the whole west coast well see i used to think we were going to secede from the union you know in mm -hmm. the west coast actually we'd be better off without the rest of the united states yeah I mean, uh, california oregon and washington combined have something like the sixth or seventh exactly, world yeah. biggest economy so we don't need the rest of the you know back in the 1950s we the west coast benefited from being a part of the united states because of the, all the defense spending all the tax dollars that was collected all over the united states a large percentage of it went back to california for the oh, defense contract interesting 
But uh, since that ended, actually now California is only getting like 70% of its federal tax money coming back to California, where before it was getting like 150%. Wow. So really, the rest of the country is a drag on California. We don't need them financially. Uh, so real quick, can you go into the, the, the defense spending? Because I'm not so much familiar with that. What is specifically? Oh, well, I mean, during the Cold War, the, the, the amount of defense spending was huge. And a large yeah. part of the defense industry was in Southern California, Northrop and, oh, okay. and all these. Companies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. You I know, see what you're saying. Uh, all these defense contractors were in Southern California. And so we got a huge amount of money from the federal government spending on defense spending and that benefited California enormously, you know, all that money coming in, you know, it was great. But now all the money we send out, we're only getting like 80% of it back instead of 150% of it back. So there's no financial benefit at all to us being part of the United States. Plus everybody hates the United States, but everybody loves California. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, so we're okay. So anyway, the way I was thinking before is that, you know, probably the West Coast and the Northeast will secede, you know, and then they may be one country, they may be two countries, you know, like Pakistan mm-hmm. has got yeah. two widely distributed, you know, there's West Pakistan and East Pakistan, and there's a thousand miles between them, mm-hmm. you know, there's yeah. still Pakistan. So one of the possibilities is the West Coast and the Northeast would secede and become one union, and then the whole center, Trumpville, uh, would, would be whatever they want. They can do whatever they want. They can hire Trump and let him run the country, you know, mm-hmm. which would be fine. Um, but now I'm thinking rather than, because it's still, you know, there's no legal way we can secede from the union. I've done a little bit of research on that. Yeah. Oh, really? Texas, yeah. It's illegal, except for Texas. Texas has some, there's some ambiguity with respect to Texas. And I didn't look deeply enough into it, but there may be some way that Texas could actually secede from the United States and, mm. and do it legally, but there's no way any other state can do it. So I but, and I thought about that, and then I thought, well, actually, there's a better way. The the Northeast and the West can kick out the center. <laughs> we won't oh, succeed. Oh, interesting. We'll just throw them out. Oh, <laughs> so, I see what you're saying, yeah. You know, I mean, this is sort of funny. I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't think this is going to happen in the next, you know, 10 minutes. But I, I just don't, you know, listen, whenever it was in the 1990s when the Soviet Union disappeared, you know, I went to bed one night and got up in the morning in the newspapers and the Soviet Union's gone. It's yeah. broken up into all these separate little, you know, countries. And, you know, and it happened overnight, you know, surprise, surprise, you know, the Soviet Union's gone. I think something similar is going to happen to the United States. It's clearly a dysfunctional unit, you know, and whether it just breaks up or whether, you know, just how that's going to work, I don't know. But, uh, it seems to me there's no point in having the United States. I mean, nation states in general, I think, are sort of stupid. But mm. certainly the United States is too divided. Like I say, there, uh, there's just nothing to talk about between Trump supporters. And the Trump supporters want the past. And other people want to create a new future. Mm. Yeah, I've come along, uh, I've come along like many people and like all my different like conversations I had and that the ones that I've listened in on, they're saying similar things uh, on what the point you just raised on how like the nation state, like as a concept, it's actually not as, it's not as viable as it once was. And, may, yeah. and like, maybe like the real unit, the, the like basically the, 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 the polity that has existed for a long time and maybe is the most stable through from now until the future is like the city state. 
like a return to yeah. like city yeah. states and then yeah. it's gonna it's gonna be almost like i don't know like there are many ways you can do it maybe like a federation have you ever heard states? of paolo solari paolo solari i'm not sure that i wrote I a book called uh, the city and the image of god or in the image of man or something like that mm. uh, but look at stuff up it is really interesting yeah city states and also what i for me personally it seems to me that i am a member of the tribe of the colorado river uh, mm. in south california and arizona and the part of lower nevada so all of us depend upon the river the Colorado River for our survival, for the water in that river. Mm. That's a fundamental living resource that we all have a common interest in. There's the Mississippi River Valley. There's the Columbia River Valley. Uh, there's various, and all over the planet, there are these major river valleys, which really are, I think, somewhat of a natural political unit, you know, because mm. all the people who depend on that water have an interest in maintaining that resource for all of them. So, you know, that, so that sort of seems to me is a, a natural, the, the, the largest sort of natural uh, political unit. And then within that city states and probably uh, not this like, like LA and Orange County is just this vast thing, but probably that could all be condensed into a very condensed. And, and this is where Palo Solari's architecture comes in. Uh, Divine, design, designing these uh, city-states where we all live in a very dense uh, urban situation. Uh, mm. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, uh, what you just said, that's, that's crazy because a few days ago, I was listening to a, a podcast, I believe, with uh, Peter Zahan, um, and he his author of the book, uh, This United Nations. And he was specifically talking about how like the United States and like it's, it's river system. I forgot exactly what he said, but it was like, we have like the most, I don't know, like most, uh, I don't know, the best river system in the world for like, uh, I don't know, for like facilitating trade and like uh, political like unity or whatnot. Yeah, well, the, so, the Mississippi River Valley is, is a major, it's the biggest one in the United States. I mean, it goes clear up into the Dakotas all the way down to Louisiana, you know, it's, it, that, that feeds, that, that waters the entire, well, not all, but most of the center of the United States, all that water is, you know, crucial to all of those people. Mm, yeah. And, his, and the funny and the, the crazy part is like you, when you said five years, like I was like, whoa, really five years. But the thing is, that's only because my prediction uh, on our end, like I went on, on someone else's show uh, a couple of weeks ago and they asked for my prediction of what the world's going to look like in 10 years. Yeah. And I said, the United States is going to, I think, go into a soft collapse. Yeah. And that soft collapse. Let's hope it's soft. <laughs> exactly. I, I like that's the thing. I, I'm thinking it's soft like because when people say collapse, like it could sound very harsh. Yeah. It's sudden, but I do well, think it could like, be. That, that's certainly be. a possibility, and that's yes. scary as hell. I yeah. That would, and that would be like a Pakistan and India, where like yeah. you had people just like rushing across the border and like mass. Yeah, yeah. It, it, well, it, that's certainly a possibility. I mean, I'm hoping. That's why I'm glad to get Trump out of there and we'll just have a more gradual collapse. With Trump mm -hmm. in there, I, I, the collapse could come overnight. Well, well, but with well, Biden, it's just the same old shit we've had and it'll just gradually go down. But, uh, but here's the thing. Like, do you think that's possible that like, the fact that Trump is not in it and that it was quote-unquote could have been uh, seen as close in some states? So that now he has fuel for like 
Now oh, yeah. his his battle may actually facilitate a hard collapse. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, see, that's the thing. Is that's you know, as one of the things I learned in this election. I mean, I was to me this was sort of like a turning point because if he won, I was probably going to leave the United States. Mm. Uh, maybe not immediately, but it, but again, I, and then I realized, well, so he lost, but it really doesn't make any difference because fifty percent of the people exactly yeah. voted for him. Yeah. So I mean, that's the issue. The issue is you've got all these people who think Trump is great. You know, and that's a, a whole lot of people who are in a different universe than I'm in. <laughs> you know, so getting rid of Trump, I mean, that's a step. But what about all those people that like Trump? You know, that's a big problem. I mean, they're marching in Washington, D.C. as we talk. Yeah, exactly. You know? And the thing is, like, it's not like I thought, like, look, I, like I, I had I predicted that, you know, Biden was going to win and then there was going to be pushback. It, it's all playing out. The thing is, it hasn't played out as crazily as I thought, but so far, but that, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen later. Um, and then, and also like one of my predictions that I gave in my talk the other, the other week was like in the soft collapse, like you mentioned, it was very similar. I believe the West coast is going to secede. It's funny because yeah. they, they talked about that. There was a lot of talk. Oh, yeah, there's, there's been talk about secession on, in, on the West coast for 50 years, you know, it's, but like but like but then you mentioned that like there's some sort of legal thing where perhaps that is, is not even oh, it's illegal yeah it would if the united states yeah it's illegal to succeed. but that's the thing it's illegal according to according to yeah but we course to them exactly yeah exactly well but that's what we had a civil war about you know mm. i mean that was that was that issue they the united the north said you can't leave mm. You know, that was what the Confederate states wanted. They just wanted to leave. But the United, the, the North said, no, you can't no, leave. You can't leave. Exactly. And, and technically, they, they could do the same thing with the West Coast. If the West Coast decided to leave, uh, technically, you know, under the way the, the laws are, they'd be rightful to get their army together and come invade us and uh, take over. Mm. Yeah. And like, this is one of the reasons that I guess, now that I think about it, why I'm so interested in it. For the past couple weeks i have been obsessed with like uh, like bootstrapping like a digital economy because yeah. and like and like 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 creating like a community getting together with the community people creating our own like internal economy of with our own currency everything flows in between and then the other day i went to a salon with uh balaji uh srinivasan who worked with uh, cryptocurrencies and coinbase he's yeah. starting up his own uh network state which is he's going to create like a, a, a like he's going to get a virtual university and then bootstrap like a, 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 an economy off a university as like because we're going to have all these people from all over the world contributing to the university and providing like a, a like a new type of education. And then from that, we're going to the people who join in. And By the way, I'd like you to give me some information on him. I'd like to. You know, oh, yeah, him. definitely. Definitely. I'll send that to you after the show. Yeah. And then it's the project called 1729, 1729.com. And then uh, from there, so the, he has he has the virtual university, the economy from that university, and then he's gonna start like crowdsourcing land from members of that digital economy. Like, hey, I have a plot of land over here. That's part of it. I I have like 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 a buildings over here. I have a home, and that becomes his own little base. And then they start to <laughs> they start to negotiate with like the sovereigns. Like, hey. Uh, you know, you want to, you know, you want to interface with us. Uh, we want to buy some land over here. You want to do trade with us? Yeah, we can have a little trade deal over here. So that's all happening. And I realized, wow, like this is, 
And I'm just starting to put all the pieces together. Why I'm thinking this way, why all these other people are thinking this way. Because, and I just, because the past couple of days, I just realized I I remembered, oh yeah, we're going to go through an economic collapse really soon. Who knows when, but it's coming. It may be two years, maybe six months, could be exactly. 10 years, uh, but it, it's, it's on its way out. Yeah, the old systems are inadequate and failing. Mm. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, like, it's just like, oh yeah, so that's why I want to do this. That's why everyone wants this. And so I don't know, like, I'm trying to figure out, so that's why I, I'm going forward with this. And I don't, I'm trying to figure out how China is going to play on i guess oh, it's yeah, just going to be a lot yeah, who knows what yeah, china. china is the wild card here that's the yeah. thing like no matter what anyone thinks about all this you like, oh we're gonna break up in the city states around I river systems just have to trust the internet you know hopefully they can't control totally the internet and it's really about the pe- enough people in china waking up you know mm, i mean screw yeah. the, the leaders i mean screw all the leaders the issue exactly. is whether there's a, a critical mass of Chinese people who are waking up from the trance of language and mm-hmm. the stories they got in their head that the, the state and their parents have planted in them and waking up from that. I mean, that's, to me, the whole issue all over the planet. The issue is really a significant number, a critical mass of humans waking up from the trance of language. Until that happens, I don't see any positive outcomes. Mm. Okay, so okay, this is okay. So this is the one thing that like I really want to try to understand. Like, what exactly? Like, I, we've kind of like we've talked uh, like a bit about it and like around it, but like, what exactly is it about the trance of language? What I mean, it, it's like okay, we have these illusions, right? That it's the eye. Like, for example, you said you're five. It's, it's really simple. We mistake the story that we've got running in our head about who I am and what's so in the United States is the rest you know, or whatever the story is. Everybody's got a story that they got from their parents and from the media. 95% of people don't see that as just their story. Mm. They think that's reality. And that's what's got to change. They've got to realize that the story that's running in their head about everything is just a story they've got running in their head about everything that they got from their parents and the media and their neighbors and their teachers and oh, yeah, mostly yeah. the media and their parents though. Hmm. And it's until, until you're awake from that, then you're just in the trance and you just, you know, so you're willing to go out and kill for your country or whatever. And so that's, what's got to change. Mm, yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Now I'm starting to understand that. So, but I don't know what a critical mass is, whether it's 30% of the population or 60% or how much. I, don't, I have no idea. Mm. I mean, right now, my sense is probably somewhere between 2 and 5% of people either already know this or suspect it. Yeah. And that's not enough. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, definitely. More. But how much more? What What if 10% of the people on the planet... That's like were, the number that you I, I always hear, like the 10% mark, right? Well, I think... Well, I don't know. I say whatever. Yeah. But that would certainly help, you know? Mm. And my sense is it's going to grow exponentially. I mean, because once you see it, it's just so obvious. It, it's... Like I say, I, I'm really expecting this to just emerge, just explode you know, and that it's going to go up exponentially, you know, and that uh, it could easily happen in the next 10 or 20 years, you know. Right now it's 2%, five years from now, maybe 5%, seven years, it may be 10%, you know, 
and uh, and then it'll be 20 percent and then next month it'll be 80 percent you know it's going to go up faster and faster at least that's that's my bet hmm. okay okay so yeah so now it's on ourselves okay so yeah so it's basically the story is the thing in which kind of makes a because in the past several years like the past i don't know maybe five years there's been an explosion of content specifically talking about narratives and stories like yeah. we go back to like uh noah yuval harari that's yeah. when i i, I made that made one of the first times I, I he talked about the story everything is a fiction yeah. the nation state is a fiction yeah. you know you know before it was just everyone talked about the the, the obvious ones maybe like religion is fiction everyone just points out oh, religion is fiction everything is everything is a story right yeah. well here's another way I look, you're familiar with, you know descartes cogito ergo so, mm, right? yeah that was his attempt to find a baseline, some unquestioned starting point from which to build a philosophy that you could use. Okay, mm-hmm. that was it, that was what he claimed he was doing. Okay, and for him that was it. I think, therefore, I am. If I, I you can't question that. That's that's the truth. Now, what can I do with that? Okay, mm-hmm. and it turns out not much. But uh, so I was asking myself the same question: What? what is available to me that, you know, I mean, that's it. What do I have to try to make sense out of my life? And as far as I can see, I can only find two things. One is my immediate sensual or sensory experience through like 15 to 20 senses. I mean, you got the big five, yeah. but there are a bunch of other more subtle ones that we have. Yeah, definitely. Okay, yeah. So, uh, so that's one thing that's available to me. I mean, you know, I see my monitors, I feel my butt on the floor and, hear your voice and all that. Okay. So that's one thing. And, and before language gets a hold of it. Okay. That's just, it's just, it's like, like a bird or anything else. It's, it has sensory data that it uses. Okay. Mm. And then in addition to that, the only other thing I can see that we have is stories about my sensory experience ah, yeah. that I use to make sense mm. out of my sensory experience. And you can put any number of stories on the same sensory experience. You know, I mean, it's pretty obvious. That, but again, the story is not the experience. The map is not the territory. Exactly. Of course, yes, yes. Yeah. So, uh, and that's really it. That's all there is. I don't see any way around. The idea that reality itself, reality is just a story. Hmm. It's, it's a way, it's a story we use to make sense out of our experience. Oh, there really is something out there. There really is a monitor. It's got atoms and molecules and all that stuff. Hmm. It really is all. Yeah. That's a story. It's yeah. not a bad story. You know, it's, it's a pretty good story, actually. It works really fine for a lot of things, but it's still just a story. It's not reality. Again, the whole idea of reality is absurd. If reality means anything, it means my immediate sensory experience. If if I think if I'm experiencing spiders crawling all over my body, well, that's my experience. You know, mm-hmm. I can put a story on that and says, "Oh, I'm hallucinating," or I can think, "Oh God, there are really really spiders crawling around." But those are stories. Mm-hmm. The sensory experience is what we have, but how we the stories we apply to that sensory experience are really the whole rest of the story. Mm-hmm. And, and again, most people mistake their stories for some sort of reality, the way the world really is. And that's insane. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is what we've been coming to and I'm very curious about. So I know you have the, the Gendo system and all that you speak about, the five stupidities of English. I'll just go through them quickly. My interpretation was the, the use of the word the, as in like, it's the only thing. Yeah. Reification, uh, which is kind of making something, uh, make a concept into like a, a reality. Thing, essentially. Uh, yeah. Thing. And then uh, dualism is kind of like, we're separating between either like or, yeah. either or uh, absolutism, which is kind of like it is that thing and that thing only. Well, that and plus words like every and every. all and none, yeah. those yeah. kinds of things. Yeah. And then last would be uh, uh, to be uh, identity. Yeah. That's a tricky one. That's uh, uh, not even the place we want to go. <laughs> yeah, to be. Like, what is what is it to be or not to be? So, I was just, all I can I, say about that is there's an article in Wikipedia on E Prime that, that oh yeah you mentioned that fairly carefully, uh, and that that's worth reading. But even that, like I say, that's and it's not necessary really to go to that. I, the five stupidities for me are tools for examining your own language machine. And, the, and again, the object of that is to break the identification with the voice. Mm. Once you've done that, all these other issues are relatively minor. I mean, you can reprogram them, but the thing is you don't get stuck into these stupid stories. You know, once, you've, once you've broken away from you know, being identified with it. Mm. So, uh, so if you could like uh, simplify it as much as possible, what is like the major levers that we could like we could work with to get our language machines in order? Yeah. Well, it's it really. Have you meditated? Are you a meditator? Yeah, I meditate. I will. I meditate. I try to meditate every day, but I, I've done it for years. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Well, one of the first things you discover is, I mean, when you're when you're first learning to meditate, usually you're told, you know, to quiet your mind you know, or something like that, you know. And of course, the first thing you discover is you can't do that. Your language machine just churns on and on and on, mm, about yeah, whatever yeah. it's churning on and on and on about. So to me, that's the key is discovering that the language machine is not something that you are un in control of. It's just something that does what it does. It's there, whether you like it or not. Mm. You know, but the problem is we're all identified with it. And we get sucked into the stories and we get emotional about it. And, and you know, it's, let's say we literally are hypnotized by these stories that are running in our language machines. And mm. once you can. So the five stupidities are just things to observe so that you can become acutely aware of the fact that the language machine is just doing what it does. It's not me. You know, and once you get that, it's not me. It's just my language machine churning away. Well, let me tell you how, how I operate now. I mean, most of the time I'm pretty happy, you know, usually. But occasionally I find maybe I'm angry or fearful or upset about something or other. And the moment I notice that, I stop and listen to what my language machine is saying. And inevitably, I discover that I've gotten just gotten sucked up into some stupid story, uh, yeah. you know, and I, I'm just about somebody did something, you know, or something's going to happen or, you know, or, but I get, I get sucked into these stories that my language machine is running. And the minute I notice that the whole thing just disappears. Okay. Hmm. Once in a while, when I find myself, you know, frightened or whatever, and I start listening, I realize, Oh, actually I got a problem here. This is something I have to deal with. And then I switch into a whole different mode and start examining what the problem is and what am I going to have to do to resolve this? And that's a whole different thing than just getting 
running this story around in your head mm. about how terrible everything is. So those are the, the two things. I mean, when I was a young guy, man, if a girlfriend broke up with me, I mean, for a month, I'd be lost in some story of tragedy and stuff going around over and over and over again in my head. I've just totally, totally taken over by some rant in my head about that stuff. Now I don't last more than a couple seconds, you know, if I, and, you know, I, so, and that's the key. The key is noticing whether, whether you're happy or whether you're not, <laughs> you know, mm. am I, am I pissed off? Am I afraid? Is something going on that I don't like? It's the moment you notice that, you stop and listen. And, and like I say, most of the time, what I discover is I've just gotten sucked up into you know, some fantasy, silly story that my language machine is still running. After all these years, my language machine still, you know, does all sorts of stupid things and I get sucked into it all the time. But I don't stay stuck in, into it for more than a couple seconds usually. Whereas wow, before, I would spend weeks, you know, I mean, literally weeks. <laughs> yeah, some people, their whole lives, they just, they're, they're oh, in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say seconds, maybe a minute, you know, mm -hmm. but I mean, it's almost inevitable. Like I say, if I'm actually upset, well, that gets my attention now. I mean, I've trained myself, or I don't know if that's the right way to say it or not. But in any case, you know, I know now that if I'm not happy, I what's probably going on? And, and like I say, the stopping and listening to it, inevitably the whole thing just evaporates mm. unless there's a real problem. And then I have to, then I have to jump into action and figure out how to solve this problem. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, that's really encouraging that like you could maybe stay in something for like less than a minute. And as long, as long as you become aware of it, you could get yourself. Yeah. Well, again, it's, it's about breaking the identification with the voice. Once you, once you're no longer stuck in the story and believe that that's me and all that, and it's just my language machine spinning out this stuff, hmm. then there's no like emotional attachment to it anymore. You know, there's no inertia. Mm, yeah. I see. It's just, you know, I say most of the time it's just, evaporates like one time a couple of years ago this happened to me I, was, I went to the store to buy some groceries and I, I had a you know a debit card and I put it in there and it rejected it you know and I never balanced my checkbook because I always had you know I was just kept enough money I knew there was enough money in there mm -hmm. I didn't have to worry about managing it every month you know I mean I'd been doing that for years and all of a sudden I mean, like I say, I never knew how much money I actually had, but I knew I had enough for what mm. I, for my lifestyle. And anyway, there was no money in my account. And I put it in again and again, and, again, and I realized I don't have any money. You know? mm. And so, th so my, of course, my language machine was going crazy at that point. Yeah. <laughs> but what I, so I went home and I called the bank and found out my landlord had been like saving up my rent checks. He hadn't cashed any of my rent checks oh, wow. in like eight months. And then one day he went in and cashed all of them. Okay. Yeah. You know, and wiped me out, mm. you know? And um, so in that case, you know, I say once I realized what had happened, you know, I mean, they said, no, you don't have any money in your bank because there were all these withdrawals. And, I, and all of a sudden, then all of a sudden I understood what the situation was. I'm out of money and I'm out of money because my landlord saved up my checks for eight months. And, uh, and I knew I had to find a solution to that. And so I, I mean, then I switched into 
some sort of solution mode. What am I going to do about this? But that's a whole different thing than just stewing in, yes. in, in the stuff we usually stew in. You move into a problem-solving mode at that point. Mm. Another thing that uh, I don't know if this is uh, still accurate, but uh, the, one, of the, uh, one of your other many activities that you do is that you teach English as a second language. Yeah, no, uh, Oh, so this is old information, yeah. uh, but but there's still something very interesting about that because uh, you said that it was to mostly like uh, adult Asian students. Yeah, yeah. So okay, this is interesting in uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, knowing your background, like how does your experience with Gendo and the language, which mean influ- influence how you teach your students, and also does their being Asian in any way impact how their language machine works or anything oh, yeah. like Asian that? Asian languages are fundamentally different than Indo-European mm. languages. Their, their whole universe, they live in a different universe, you know? Yeah, so really I definitely different. love to hear about that. Yeah, so um, I really sort of specialized in teaching speaking and hearing skills. I wasn't much interested in reading and writing. A lot of my students were actually pretty good at reading and writing, but they couldn't get on the phone and order a pizza. Oh, yeah, you know? oh, yeah. Those, yeah I know those. You know, yeah. uh, so they, they could read and write okay. I mean, you know, I mean, they still, there's still a lot of grammar issues. I mean, like most of my students were Chinese, Japanese, and Korean. Mm. And um, I mean, the grammar of those languages is just so fundamentally different than English. Uh, it, it's, it's really, so they have had a lot of problems, but mostly their problems were they couldn't speak or hear. So that's what I, I sort of focused my energies on. And I realized that um, in that domain, I mean, I did some research in Orange County and I went around, there are probably 50 ESL schools, private ES schools in Orange County. Hmm. And then there's the universities and high schools and other places that teach ESL. And all of them have so-called accent reduction courses, you know. And I went around and sat in like a lot of these things. And I realized what a joke it was. The students all knew it. The teachers all knew it. Everybody knew it wasn't doing one damn bit of good. But they all went to class and pretended like it did, even the teachers. You know, the whole yeah. thing was a complete waste of time. And I, underst- I figured out what the problem was. When children, I mean, language is primarily for the mouth and for the ear. Reading and writing is just a, this little thing that got added in the last yeah. thousand years or so. But we've been talking for 200,000 years. So real language is in the mouth and in the ear. And first, it's in the ear. When babies come into the world, the first thing they do is they start babbling. And it's not about making sounds. That's about recognizing what sounds are the significant sounds in a given language. And for actually, when kids are born, they're already on their way to their mother's uh, speaking language. Because when the mother speaks, her whole body literally vibrates. Uh, so even in the womb, the baby is being vibrated by the sounds of the mother's speaking. Okay. Mm. So uh, children are already predisposed to hearing their mother's language uh, before they're even born. Mm. But a- anyway, the point is, is that in the first couple years, what the child does is latch on to the sound system of the language. They're able to distinguish which sounds are significant and make a difference and which sounds are you don't have to pay attention to because they're not part of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that takes a couple of years for that to happen. Once they've got that down, then they start speaking and they, and they hone it down to where it works. Okay. Well, the problem is with, and what I realized with my students is that 
they all had, well, I'll just take Korean because that was a lot of my students were from Korea. They were hearing with Korean ears. They learned as children, they have these filters hardwired into their brains to distinguish the sounds of Korean and ignore anything else that doesn't fit that mesh or whatever you want to call it. And, and it's not that hard to learn the new sounds, but that's the thing is, if you're listening with Korean ears to English, you're never going to get it, you know? Mm. So what, they what I had to do is train my students how to hear English properly. And that's relatively easy. It takes a couple months, you know? Some people pick it up quicker than others. Some people never pick it up, but mm. most people get it, you know, within a couple months. And, and I developed a system to train them to hear English accurately so that they actually got clear that they know what they're hearing. There's so much uh, embarrassment about sounding bad or not understanding yeah. that they would not engage, you know, because they were never quite clear about what they were hearing. You know, they, mm. maybe they got it, maybe they didn't, and they knew their pronunciation wasn't good. And so they just disengaged. But once they learn how to hear accurately and they know that they are hearing accurately, then you can test it and, and show them that they actually can hear these sounds of English differently than the sounds of Korean. Mm. Uh, well, then they can correct their own pronunciation, ah. just like a child does, you know? But the, the fundamental issue is retraining their ears. They're not retraining, but adding a new filter. I mean, they still have their Korean filters. They don't have to worry about that, but they need a new filter set for English. And once that's installed, that takes a couple months and it takes some work and some listening and some testing and stuff. But once they got that, once they can hear it and once they know they can hear it, that's the big deal is they get this confidence that they, okay, yeah, that's what I heard. <laughs> and then they can, like I say, they can correct their own pronunciation. Ah, yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, because uh, actually, yeah, because after this, you know, this COVID thing hit, like, you know, right before this COVID thing hit, there was a part of me that was like, I was planning on moving outside of the United States and teaching English, yeah. uh, a TEFL program, because I was like, you know, I didn't want to do my little game A, I didn't want to work for a tech company, I didn't want to do all this, and I just wanted yeah. to go to China, and I was like, and I was learning Mandarin, and uh, I, I, I kind of experienced the same thing, I did like a Pimsleur, uh, yeah. Not, yeah, and like they, I'm, I don't know if that's kind of similar. Where it's like, it's about like learning. It's about like speaking and listening more yeah. so than like all the stuff written down. So you saw my phonographics sheet. Right? Yes, yes. Well, that's fundamental to this because that breaks down all the sounds of English. There's mm -hmm. 29 of them. 29 basic sounds. Forget the alphabet. I mean, like one of the things can be like the the th sound, voiced and unvoiced, like in then or in thick. Okay, two different sounds, but it's spelled with a T and an H. It has nothing to do with a T or an H. It's stupid, you know? Oh, yeah, so yeah, exactly. You, exactly. So, you, so the phonographics breaks down, in, down into the sounds of English. And TH, unvoiced, like in thick, is represented by a, a zero with a vertical line in it. Okay, mm, that's the yeah. sound. And then in the, the voiced TH sound is a circle with a horizontal line. So, again, yeah, it writes, and so the students have to learn this notation system for the sounds, not the letters of the alphabet. Because exactly, yeah, the letters, sense. like I say, the letter A has got like nine different sounds. Mm. I mean, it's, it's totally insane. <laughs> That's why English is so terrible. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's, it's, it's nothing wrong with English. It's just the way it's been taught. It's, mm, oh, they yeah, haven't yeah. understood how to teach it.
It's, it's simple when you when you see that they have to master the sound system, and that has to be done by writing it phonetically, which gets back to how I changed my name, <laughs> you know, mm, is exactly, having this, yeah. this uh, annotation system for the sounds. That's why there are 29 basic sounds in California English. I mean, it's different in Connecticut. So I teach California mm. English. Uh, but 29 sounds. Like there's no, there's no uh, J, oh no, it's not J, it's a Q. There's no Q in, in phonographics because that's exactly. all either a, a K or you know, something like that. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was amazing. Heron, uh, thank you so much for coming on the transhuman, um, the artist formerly known as what Dennis Horn. <laughs> Dennis Horn. I mean, Amazing. Uh, thank you so much for all the knowledge you oh, dropped yeah, today. Thank you for uh, being such a good uh, interviewer. You know, for, you did, you really did your work and I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, yeah. Um, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Yes. And I, I do want to make sure that I'm able to show the world uh, the gifts of all my guests. I really appreciate that you could see that in me, that I put that into you. And like, I'm, I'm just glad that you came in and for all the work you did. And again, I'll be back next week if you invite me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, look, yes, like, I'm still working on like uh, having uh, repeat guests. Like, yeah, we could definitely put that. Uh, put me on the notice, list, man. Mm, definitely. And uh, so, last question of the day goes to you, Heron. You could ask me anything you want. Anything other than my social security, I'll delete that out. So, that doesn't work. So, Right. Yeah, I, I can't think of anything. I'm just quite happy. I, I thought this conversation was really fun. Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah I mean. so that, that's good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, so amazing. Okay, so Heron, so where can people find out more about you, Gendo, your work, get in contact, anything? Well, you're, you've got all that information, right? Right, I mean, yeah, definitely. Why don't you just paste it at the bottom, you know, in the whatever it is, and just put it there and people... I mean, you're going to post this on YouTube, I guess, or somewhere, right? Yeah, uh, YouTube and podcast. So, yeah. So, yeah, like, yeah. like so gendo.net. You can just post all that contact information in there, right? Yep, got it. Yeah, yep. yeah so just, yeah, just post it all. Yeah, I've all got right. Facebook and Skype and email and my website and uh, Internet Archive and uh, my bibliography. Yeah, just paste it all. Just give, them, give it all there. Yeah. Mm, yep. Got it. So again, so I'm going to put that all in the show notes. Uh, for those who are listening, it's going to be gendo.net is his main site, G-E-N-D-O.net. And, yeah, and that's really not, that's just a, you know, a, a, what they call a vanity page. Oh, that's a vanity page. So oh, was, I made that when, when websites were done in word processors. Mm, I mean, yeah. it's really primitive and simple, yeah. but it's fun. There's some interesting yeah. stuff there. Mm, yeah. All right. So again, Heron, thank you so much for coming on. We could do this again. You could yeah. get to ask your questions way more than one. Um, you'll have plenty of time to think about them. And so that's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Noetic Nomads. Peace out and step up because the world needs you. Okay, goodbye. Bye. All right. And we are done.